This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Welcome, everybody. Uh, first and foremost, we have to uh, graciously thank everybody that showed up today with the crazy blizzard, if you live anywhere outside of New York. Um, <laughs> No, but the truth is, it's terrible weather, and it's very difficult to come over here, uh, you know, at, at a cold winter night. It's a tremendous, tremendous merit for all of you that, that came on a, on a night that's, that's so difficult to come. Uh, okay, everybody's always welcome to join us every Thursday night at BJX at 1601 Quenda Road at 8 p.m. on Thursdays. 7.30, there's like brachos, uh, 7.45 is shots, and I don't know, whatever it is that you guys do. Uh, okay, so, um, but 8 o'clock the class, uh, you know, starts. Okay, so now... Very, very important topic tonight. The, the, for the past like quite a few months, we've been dealing with proving God, proving the Torah, understanding how everything is 100% divine and 100% true. Then we come into to sort of a point, you know, it's a shame, we're, we're close to the end of our journey in this uh, series, that uh, we come to this to sort of a point where, okay, like now what? Okay, so now, uh, you proved to me that the Torah is legit. You proved to me that there is a God. You proved to me all these things. What do we do with that? Like, what are we supposed to do with that? So, uh, the idea with this is, is linked to the idea of inspiration. The, you know, you have people that get inspired, and this is a perfect, you know, let's say people come back from seminary, or yeshiva, you know, you have those people that really grew from seminary in Israel, they come back, and they're like, every other word is like, you know, like, everything that they do is like, oh, and it's awesome, it's not great. And they ask them, okay, like, what type of boy are you looking for? Or vice versa, what type of girl are you looking for? And they say they, you know, like, I want somebody that learns like 26 hours a day, um, only does chesed every 14 hours, you know, like, loves his parents, you know, like, just, does, you know, like, everything, like, the biggest tamachacham in the world. And then you wait like four months, and you ask her that same question again, and be like, I want him to work a little bit, I want, but learning is very important. Learning is very important. Then you ask like six months later, and be like, he has to be kovayitim. He has to be learning at least every single night. You ask them like, you know, four years later, you know, and she's the one pushing her husband, be like, why are you not working more? You know, I need to buy more shoes. Whatever it is that, you know, you're, there, there is a, there is a way of the very, very odd thing. And this doesn't have to, and, and, you know, everybody. There's some people, they get inspired and it changes their life. They change their life 100%, and, and, like 180 degrees, and everything is changed. But the majority of people, there's an idea, they get inspired and uh, it doesn't really like stick so much. You ever heard this concept? Um, I want to want to change. You ever heard that thing? Oh, I love that. It's like, so I'm like, oh, that's, that's very cute. You know, like, yeah, like, you know, like, I want to want to not smack you, but it's gonna happen. You know, like, what, what does that mean? Like, I want to want. The idea is, is it's being very true to yourself, because I want to want something means that I know I should want it, but I don't kind of want it right now. It's like, it's like, think of this idea. You're, you're, Sitting at home, drinking a warm, hot cocoa near your fireplace. You don't live in New York, obviously. But you're sitting near your fireplace, and you're like, okay, I, I want to want to go to a Torah class, but this is kind of a hundred times better, you know, like right now. Like you just want to sit there with your sweater or whatever it is, and you just want to sip your hot cocoa, looking out at the snowflakes, and, you know, and be like, when is my husband going to come? <laughs> and, you know, but you're not married, so like, you know... But it's fine. You already planned everything out. You know, like, everything is in your mind. You're very cozy right now. Like, but I want to want to do something good. I really would like to do that. The want to want is something that, it's nice, theoretically, 
but it ain't gonna happen. So the, the, we'll try to understand this concept. The, the, this concept is very, very strongly linked together with inspiration. When you have people, you know, generally, you have people that they'll only change only when they're inspired. Then you have people that never get inspired. You have people that no matter what you do, they're like, stone cold. They're like, no, you're not going to break me and make me better. You know, like, I am serious in the way that I am right now. I'm not interested in getting expired. inspired. Expired is also not a good thing to do. Okay. Um, and then there are some people that that don't change. Even They'll get inspired, but they still don't change. They still don't change. The truth of the matter is, the bottom line, you know why people change? Not because they get inspired. Really, because of this key word, they need to. When you need to change, that's when you, that's when you have, you know, you know, you know, a change. The idea that people live their life more or less in the same bubble that they were born with. And this is not true for everybody, but for a majority of the people, the way that you are brought up is the way kind of that you're going to live your life. You're sort of like in the same little circle that you are. Baal Chuvas completely negate this equation. It doesn't even count. Like they completely different, you know, you know, uh, you know, uh, section. But the majority of people, religious, not religious, whatever it is, your life is something like this. It's like a wave. Like, you have peaks of, like, you're inspired, you're going to do good, and then, oh, you're lazy. And then you're inspired, and then you're lazy. And then you're inspired, and then you're lazy, right? Uh, you have this, 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 you know, idea that you're sort of staying in more or less the same line. You might be moving up and down, but you're more or less staying in the same line. What you want to do, that, this, this wavelength is always going to happen. But what you want to do is instead of doing something like this, you want to do something like this. Right, you see what I'm saying? Like you're still dipping down, but you're overall growing as you as you you know proceed in life. The the idea with this is that you have people that are angry people, and they constantly say, "I'm not going to be angry more. I'm not going to be stingy. I'm not going to be lazy. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not." But they always stay exactly the same. You want somebody that. Even though they're not able to break out of the habit, but they're still able to get that little bit, you know, like, uh, you know, like, a little bit better. And then a little bit better until finally, when they look back, like, five, ten years, they're like, where was I? I I'm like, I'm not even close to the same person. The idea, uh, you know, it's coming to the, to the English New Year's. Uh, the New Year, people have make New Year's resolution, right? New Year, new me, I'm going to lose 7,000 pounds. Um, and that's not a joke, because they really lose 7,000, because they gain 5,000, they lose 5,000, they gain 5,000, they lose 5,000, they gain 5,000. So in a year, you can technically lose 1,000 pounds. Um, you know, because, you know, the, of the wicked cycle um, that is your body, the way that, it, that, the way that it works. But there's something very interesting when you look at gyms. And this is something that, uh, you know, I, piqued my interest. I saw an advertisement for a gym for $10 a month. Now, it, start, it made me think, $10 a month, I, you know, and I looked at where they're renting their space. You know, if you know anything about real estate, the amount of square footage they need, they're paying roughly ten grand a month for, their, for, the, for, for the actual space. If there are, let's see if anybody knows anything about math a little bit over here. If they, no, everyone's already saying like, no, forget about it. You know, like, no, right? If there's a shoe that's $500... And there's 45% sale, and you have another 30% coupon, and there's free shipping, you know, like... <laughs> so, uh, but the idea is, is that you have $10 membership, and you have $10,000, uh, you know, a month on, you know, on, 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 on just, just for the rent. How many members do you need just to cover the rent? A thousand. Oh, good job. Who said that? Okay, very good. So... 
if you have, um, it, it, you know, it, to get a thousand members and membership is, is, you know, very difficult. So I was always wondering, like, how do they, they cannot hold. And I, so I, I was, I, you know, I went and I researched this. And there's someone that did a study on this. They have these types of memberships on gyms that have a very, very low cost. They are intending on people not to show up. And they're intending for people, how does this work? People get inspired by like, new year, new me, I'm going to sign up to the gym, I'm going to lose 4 million pounds, it's going to be great, I'm going to lose everybody's weight. Like, it's going to be awesome, like, I'm so pumped, right? And this is January 1st. January 2nd at 2 p.m., you're already, like, scooping up cookie dough in, directly into your mouth. You're just, like, pouring flour, injecting fat directly into your, like, and be like, my diet starts next week. And I'll, like, have a very stressful day. You know, I need to eat these cookies, and I need to, you know, like, you people are constantly upset. But then at the same point in time, you are so inspired. What happened in 24 hours, two weeks, one month, doesn't matter the timeline. What happened when you are so inspired, you're willing to go down there, listen to the, you know, the gym's whole spiel, be like, oh, listen, you're going to come over here, and you're going to go, they'll be like, oh, yes, yes, I totally will. And you can, you know, there's like non-stop things. And you can get a trainer for just as little as $4,000 for four years. You know, like, and you're like, oh, of course I need, you know, like, and you're signing on the dotted lines, and you're giving your credit card, your bank information, Social security, not, well, I don't know if you do that. But you're doing, giving all this information, you're so pumped, and how many times do you go to the gym? How many times do you actually pull through with it? So this study was something very interesting. It says, you know the, what these gyms count on? They bank on 50% of their members never showing up. Because these gyms, regardless of the square footage, some is a little bit more, some is a little less, have a capacity of holding maximum of 300 people at one time. Yet these gyms, in order to become profitable, they need to have thousands of members signed up. So they said one particular gym had 6,000 members signed up, but yet their capacity was only 300 members. And yet they were still doing fine. <laughs> Never had full capacity. Because what are they banking on? They're banking on somebody coming in, getting inspired, willing to change your life, putting down the money, but then, oh, okay, fine, I'll figure it out. Now, what's the, what's the genius of this? The genius of this is that it's 10 bucks. So you haven't gone to the gym in 14 years, but you're still paying the 10 bucks, but you're like, okay, it's $10 a month. You know, like, it's just 10 bucks. You know, like, maybe I'll go. You know, like, you can cancel any time and start again. But no, 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 but like, maybe I'll go. So their, their genius is that they make it low enough that it's, they need, they need, that, you know, they make money off you, but then it's, it's, it's not high enough for you to be worth it to come in to cancel. So like, that little sweet spot is, who are they preying on? They're preying on the people that get inspired and don't follow through. These gyms, a lot of, if you read upon these gyms, a lot of these gyms, they don't have heavy weights. They don't, they don't want bodybuilders. There's a certain gym that you're not allowed to make a lot of noise. And if you make a lot of noise, if you get, if you intimidate other members, you get kicked out. Like that means, because if you're working really hard, that means that you come to the gym a lot. Be like, I'm sorry, we don't want you. You know, like, you're going to come here. We want the people that don't come. But how do they sell it? It's a genius. They sell it in a way that's saying, like, there's no intimidation. Everybody here is fat, obese. We give bagels and cookies and pizza. You know, like, everybody here does it. You know, we're, we're all in this together. You know, and, you know, you sit over there and you cry over your fat and you eat more fat. And, you know, like, it's just something that's very nice to do as a community. But there's, they're not anticipating. They don't want the people that work hard. Because if you were, this is not the gym for you. This is the gym for lazy people, right? So you have 4,000 TVs with, you know, with 4,000 TVs with treadmills attached to them, because that's really the true way that it happens. It's not the 4,000 treadmills with TVs attached to them. It's 4,000 TVs with treadmills, because um, I'm telling you, if you would, you, you know, there's an exercise machine where you sit on a chair and then you do something like this. You know, 
No, no, I'm, I, yeah, I'm sure you're losing about a thousand calories in 14 million years. Um, right, so, but like, but like, you sit over here and you see people, you know, if it's somebody that's 400 years old, you know, and, you know, so then it's fine. But you see people, they're just watching TV, you know, they just have, and it's, you know, and they forget sometimes to move. And then they're like, oh yeah, you know, like, I'm in the gym, you know, like, and where's my popcorn? Oh, wait, wait, I'm at, no, 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 no. And then you have four minutes of snow, no, 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 no. Interesting. Like, oh no no wait wait what am I doing? you know like the, people go at <laughs> yeah so listen it's it, it's better than you know whatever eating cookies and anything obviously it's better but uh, but you know the idea is is that many people and businesses huge corporations are built on the fact that you will get inspired and then you will fall off your horse and you will not follow through with it you know the um, there was a study done. That and I was so shocked to hear this study. Ninety-five percent of diets fail. Ninety-five percent. That's a crazy number. That, that what success rate of that? Five percent. And oh yeah, I say ninety-five. What is it considered failure? Between and then at, between one to five years after you finish a diet, you'll regain your your lost weight. That's what they consider failure, and that that makes sense. Ninety-five percent. So now what what's going on over here? And in fact, by twenty by the year twenty twenty-four, if I'm not mistaken, the um, the weight loss market in the United States of America is supposed to reach somewhere between, uh, if I'm not mistaken, $251 billion annually. That is the weight loss market. Like the, the people that hate, you know, like to help you, you know, to lose weight. Now, the number one way to lose weight is put the fork down. Like, that's it. What? Close your, exactly. Just shut it. Just, just like, you're not hungry. Stop, stop putting stuff in there. It's, it's closed for business. It's, <laughs> oh, I want to look at you. Uh, uh, I didn't intend to look at you. <laughs> so it counts. So you can eat. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but you know, that's how people they'll be like, okay, I went to gym for an hour, so now, you know, I could eat a whole cow. You know, like, you know, like, you know, like, uh, yeah. But whatever it is, it, it's it's the problem. Eating food is not the problem. It's the problem is that people eat when they don't need to eat anymore. You have, and you know how you can tell this with somebody. If there's food in front of you and you cannot hold yourself back from eating, I'm just going to say it. Don't get upset, but you have a problem. Okay, let's just put it out there. Like, it doesn't, like, if, if there's food out there and you're not hungry and you're, and you're, and it's going in your mouth, then you're doing something wrong. That, that's all. I mean, okay, food is good. I understand it's delicious and nutritious sometimes. Uh, you know, it, it's, I understand the concept, but if you're not able to hold yourself back, you should realize, like, I don't understand, I, you know, I'm walking four miles a day, like, why am I gaining weight? And the answer is, is because, close your mouth, like, like, put the fork down, you know, like, there's more, there's more exercise over here, you know, than the actual walking. So, the idea, that, you know, the idea is, is that there, there are many things that, that people go into this, uh, uh, don't think, this is not a personal attack. I don't mind attacking, I don't mind. I don't, put it this way, I don't mind attacking, you know, <laughs> thank you, break it, yeah. But if you think about it, the weight loss, 251 billion is not a, little, not, not, not a small amount of money. Do people know how to lose weight? 100%. 
Do people get inspired to lose weight? 100%. They're inspired. They go and they see someone in a dress size negative two. I, I don't know how dress size works, but like I know it works very different than men's size. You know, like men, you buy a suit, so you buy a 42. Like, there's no 42 size in women. If it is, it's a very big problem. You know, it probably comes with a crane. But, you know, like, you ha when you have, you know, what... Men's size is like, yeah, we're 552, you know, like we're big. Women's size is like, no, we're negative 14. You know, like there's like zero. Like how can you be a zero? How can you be a zero means you're invisible. Yeah, I don't know how you can be small, but here's a zero. I need to take it in more. I want to be a negative. Yeah. It's almost as if you're not alive, you know. So the... But the idea is, you have people, they know what to do to lose weight. They are inspired to lose weight. They start doing the, the thing that they need to lose weight, yet they fail in losing weight. Now what happened? They're inspired, where is this inspiration going? And that is what the focus of, this, uh, of tonight's class is. Where is the focus of the inspiration going? The, so let's try to understand this. The, um, the idea of true, real change doesn't happen because you want it to happen. True change happens when you need it to happen. You have somebody that's smoking for 40 years. They're smoking three packs a day, right? The second that they finish one, they're already lighting the other one. And they tell them, listen, you gotta stop. It's costing you so much money. You're losing. You could, you could have bought a building by now. You gotta, you know, like, whatever. You know, like, they don't care. They're not stopping. And you, by the way, you tell them, can you stop? I can stop any day I want. You know, like, oh, no, you can't. Uh, but they're, they're going and they're smoking nonstop. And they cannot stop. They try to stop it. And then all of a sudden, they go to the doctor one time. And the doctor says, listen, if you don't stop smoking, you're dead within a year. Guess what's happening 45 seconds later, 90% 90, 90 of the patients. They're taking the cigarettes, they're chucking it, they're never touching it again. What happened? Because beforehand, you it was like a nice thing. I want, I want to stop smoking. Nobody would prefer to smoke. People would like to stop smoking. But there's a difference when it happens where you want to stop smoking to when you need to stop smoking. You want to lose weight to when you need to lose weight. You want to become more religious but when you need to become more religious. There's a very, very big difference in, you know, in this. The idea with inspiration, inspiration does not give you a need. It gives you a want. You see someone in a size zero, whatever, dress, and you're like, oh, you get inspired and you want to be like that. That's very nice. You want to be like that. You know what? You're going to be like that when you need to be like that. Now, this is not Weight Watchers Anonymous. I don't know whatever they call it. This is not like an idea. I'm just using losing weight as an example because I think it's a very, very good example because especially Americans, are, what is it, like 110% are obese? I don't know, whatever it is, right? Like, you know, except for the 5% that are anorexic. So it's either like really bad or like really bad. Um, and then you have like a sweet spot, which is like 0.00000001% of the population, right? You have like that small little niche. But the, the, what's going on over here? You get inspired. The idea is, is that if you truly want to change yourself, don't wait for the inspiration. You have to produce a need. When you produce a need, then you will change yourself, and you will see drastic changes. When there is a need, oh, then there is going to be a change. There, you know, you, you ask, and I've asked this, I've had this conversation, when? Yesterday. That's how far, <laughs> that's how far, I, 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 I was speaking to somebody, and I said, um, are you a good person? And he was like, you know, very much, like very, like it was, I didn't even have to finish. I was like, are you, you? He's like, yes. I'm like, I didn't say anything. Yeah, yeah. Like, are you a good person? Yeah, I'm a good person. Um, do you do any bad things? No. So I'm like, you don't do any bad things? Like, what makes you a good... I ask them, like, you know, when you ask somebody, are you a good person? And they'll... 90% of the people say yes. Even psychopath, they'll say yes. And then you ask them, why? Why are you a good person? This, by the way, throws them so off. 
They're all, uh, you know, and you know what the majority of the answers that I hear uh, is, well, I don't do anything bad. I don't murder anybody. I don't steal anything from anybody. I'm like, that doesn't make you a good person. That makes you not a bad person. Like, I understand the idea of double negatives makes a positive in math. We're not talking about math over here. If you don't murder somebody, you don't deserve a reward. You're just normal. You know, you're just like regular. If you don't go and steal from somebody, that's good. But that doesn't make you a good person. That makes you not a bad person. So, I was speaking to this guy, and he was telling me, he's like, he's like well, the truth is, everything that I do is good. And in my mind, it was like, psychopath alert, psychopath alert. If, if, he, if someone comes to tell you everything I do is good, that you have to worry about. Um, but I didn't only think about it. I actually also said it. I said, I, you know, I told him, like, that's a psychopathic thing to say. I don't know if that's a word, but I said it. I'm like, that's not a normal thing to say. Look, everything that you do is good. He's like, yeah, if I'm doing it, I'm a good person. And he, he was right with what he was saying. He was like, if I'm doing it, I'm a good person. I wouldn't do something bad, so it must be good. I'm like, so there's nothing that you did that was bad? Yeah, don't marry this person. Okay, so um, I'm like, nothing that you did was bad? And he's like, no, I don't do bad things. I only do good. You know, I might not be the best person in the world, but I don't do bad things. So this was after, it was actually kind of during my class. So I went and I asked him, I said, what about the fact that you are having a discussion in my class and you are interrupting the class? And this like completely threw him off. And he's like, and, he, and for a second, he was like, the first thing that came out of his mouth was like, oh. And then like, I see his brain like, he's like, no. He's like, I was speaking about the topic that you are talking about. I'm like, so what? I'm like, I, I don't follow it. Like, you're still disrupting the class. I'm like, if there's a full class and there's two people having a conversation in the back, that's disrupted the class. But in his mind, it wasn't bad because he was speaking about what I was speaking about. And it was. And he brought some good points. But the idea is, is that he didn't think that he's doing something bad. If you don't think that you're doing something bad, if you don't think that you're ever doing something bad, then guess what? You'll never change. Why would you change? If you're happy being 400 pounds, then you're going to stay 400 pounds. If you're happy not keeping Shabbat, not keeping kosher, not doing this, then guess what? You're not going to change. You're not, there's no reason for you to, to, you know, to have any reason to change. So, the idea of, of, you know, inspiration is very, very important to realize that inspiration gives you a want, not a need. You want to change, you have to, you have to really change it into, from a want to a need. Another, another idea that's very important is that people, when people do things, they think that, okay, it's bad, but it doesn't really matter that much. So think of this, you know, a, a example. Let's say you're not doing something spiritually the way that it should be done. But then you say, like, God doesn't really care. You know, like, okay, so I'm talking to my friends, so I'm doing this, so I'm not dressing this way, so I'm not eating with the way I'm so, so I'm not giving the blessing. Like, God doesn't really care. You know, one of the most favorite things that I love hearing when I want to hear my blood pressure boil is, me and God, we have an understanding. <laughs> Just saying that, by the way, if I, if you would have a blood, I'm like, oh, I'm like, thank God I met you. Can you put in a good word for me, Michal Shabbat, mister? You know, like, can you please, like, you and God have, a, like, listen, I have some things that, you know, I'm asking God for. Apparently, you have a very, very close relationship that I'm not privy to. Maybe you could pray on my behalf. Uh, you know, like, and people are like, no, God understands me. I'm going through a very difficult time. And true, God does understand you. You're going through a very difficult time. That's fine. That's dandy. That's, and that's very true. But to think that, you know, like, it doesn't matter. You know, there are many people that they go through bad things in their life. And they kind of don't put the two and two together. Like, maybe I should change my life. You know, there's some people that they have, like, constantly, like, one bad thing after another going. One bad thing after another going. And they don't put it together and be like, maybe because you stop keeping kosher. You stop keeping, you know, maybe God is sending you a, a message. Maybe God is telling you, hey, buddy, 
wake up. Like, stop. No, 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 no. It has nothing to do with that. Nothing to do with Nothing. They completely remove themselves from the equation, meaning that there's no real reason to change. Picture this. Somebody grew up religious, went off, stopped becoming religious, and all of a sudden, you know, bad things started happening. You think they're going to think about it because, you know, this is maybe they're doing something wrong? No, no, no. It just happens to be I'm in this situ- situation, and they start convincing themselves of something else. The, the next idea that uh, regarding inspiration is people think they can't change. People, oh, this is so sad because people sell themselves short all the time. People, you know, will get inspired that they want to do something and then they're like, I can never do that. Wake up at six o'clock to go to the gym. Or, you know, like, you know, like, you know, pray, you know, like, you know, like, it's nice. It's a nice theory. Like, you know, dress modestly. <laughs> yeah, it's nice. But I'm saying, like, I'm cold or I'm hot. You know, like, there's different, like, it's a nice theory and an abstract, you know, theoretical concept. But practically, I can never do that. Open up a business? I can't do that. That's beyond me. Like, people sell themselves so short. If you don't feel, if you get inspired, you know, there's some people, they'll come out of a class fully inspired. But then they'll be like, yeah, but I can't really do it. Because, like, I know me. Like, I can't do it. And that's it. You just, like, you flopped on yourself. You failed on your own self. You think you can't do it, and guess what? You can't do it. If you don't think you can make the change, you can make the move, you can grow, then that's it. You're done already. The, um, this is something that's so important. You know, there, there are many people that they'll get inspired, they'll change a little bit, but it doesn't last. It doesn't, it, it doesn't stick to that. And, you know, like, let, let's use weight as an example. Somebody lost 40 pounds, right? And they were anticipating that they lose so much weight, now their life is going to change. They're going to be happier, they're going to have more friends, they're going to be more social, they're going to be, everything is going to change. And then guess what? Like, nothing really changed. I mean, like, yeah, so now you got to buy a new wardrobe, which is nice. But nothing really changed. And when they realized that mm, nothing really changed after all that, like, what's the point of it all? Like, I didn't get married yet. I didn't get a new job. I, like, nothing really changed. So, like, what is the point of it? That, you know, you have this idea that happens so much in, in, in spirituality. You have, and I, I get this all the time. I became religious. And bad things started happening. I started getting, I lost money. I started, you know, all of a sudden these bad things start happening. Or what, or what happens to the opposite? You start, you know, you start becoming more religious and then nothing changed. Like nothing became like, like, you know, you didn't win the lottery. You didn't get married. You didn't have children. Your children, like all of a sudden you change so drastically and you're sort of anticipating and waiting. God, all right, you know, where's payday? You know, where's my paycheck? Like, I've done so much. What's going on? Why it didn't happen? The idea here is very, very important. And there's also an idea when people get married, sometimes they change for their spouse. It's not a bad thing. But you have to realize something. When you're changing for somebody other than yourself, that change is not going to stick. The way that the change sticks is that you change for yourself. You change because you want to change. You have, um, and this is, you know, I can speak it from, from the men's side of things. You know, so a man gets married, and then he gets what's called a, uh, in the secular world, a beer belly? I don't know. Pregnancy belly? I don't know what you call them. Um, he, you know, he's, car- he, you know, he's packing in some extra weight. Um, for, you know, obviously for protection. A love weight, yeah. I mean, it just means that he loves his wife's cooking. Whatever it is, you know, whatever, it is, whatever interpretation that you want to give. And then his wife says, you know, listen, you've got to lose weight. I'm putting you on a diet. There's like no salt, no taste, no love, no happiness, no nothing for you, right? You're just going to cry, right? It's just like, you know, serious, serious, you know, weight loss, you know, thing. Now, if he's changing just for her, what's going to happen when she's not looking? He's going to take a bag of sugar and just like start chewing it. And like, you know, like, you know, you know, scoop up whatever, you know, 
I don't know, what's the fattiest food? I, I don't even know. Like, you know, oil dipped in oil. And he'll just like, you know, you know, start taking shots of oil, whatever it is. You know, like, what's, what's fatty food? Like, what's deep fried Oreo? I don't even know what that is. But he'll take deep fried Oreos and he'll just like eat. Just like eat deep fried anything. That's probably really unhealthy, right? Just like eat like, and the second that she, com- you know, she comes in, he's chewing on celery and, you know, he's on his diet, he's crying, he's doing his thing that he's supposed to do, right? He's, you know, he's, he's doing everything that he's supposed to because he's not changing for himself. He's changing because she wants him to change. But when you want true change, it has to come from within. You know, the idea is, is that you have people that they'll go and they complain, like, God, I don't understand. I became more religious. I did this. Why am I not married yet? So I heard this interesting, you know, story from Ramosha Moshe Finger. That so like it says, imagine there was a bartender. Not imagine, there was. There was a bartender. Okay. This bartender, a pilot comes into him and he says, Listen, I want a double shot of whiskey. So the bartender says, You are you know, you're you know, you're flying tonight, you're, you're coming, you're coming or you're going. He says, I'm going. He says, I'm not giving you anything. He says, Come on, don't do that, don't be like that, I'll give you a big tip. He says the bartender says, Nothing happening. Guys, the press ejected, goes, you know, goes out. Next comes in a pregnant woman, sits over there, you know, you can see her. What is this called? Mascara? Eyeliner? Whatever it is. Yeah, she, she looks like a raccoon. She has a different amount of that. She obviously been through something. She has, what is it called? A tearful face. Uh, she comes in there and she's like, give me a cosmopolitan. What is it called? Is it a cosmopolitan? Oh, it is? Okay. Give me a cosmopolitan. And uh, the bartender says, I'm not giving you anything. He says, you know, you're very obviously pregnant. He's like, who are you to judge me? I'm an independent. Well, you know, whatever. So, um, is, so, she, so he says, no matter what you tell me, I'm not doing it. She walks out crying again. In walks in a soldier. The soldier says, give me, you know, a double shot of whiskey. And the guy, the guy says, I'm not giving you anything. He says, you're on active duty. What am I going to give you? And the soldier walks out. The next day, the pilot comes into him. And he says, listen, I need to thank you. He says, yesterday I found out that, a, you know, a friend of mine who was also a pilot drank a lot. We were in the same situation. He drank a lot. He ended up, you know, crashing the plane. It was, we, thank God the passenger made a lot, but he lost his license. He lost everything and many people injured. So I want to thank you for refusing me to, to you know, to sell me the, the drink. Next thing, the pregnant woman walks in. And she says, listen, he says, I want to thank you. He says, yesterday I was walking in the street. And I met a woman with a young child next to her. And this young child was very, very sick. Like, you know, mentally and, and physically. And the woman came over to me and says, listen, I see that you're pregnant. I want to tell you something. He says, the reason why my son is this sick is because I drink so much in my third trimester. And he says, I destroyed him. He says, whatever you do, I want to give you this advice. Do not drink while you're pregnant. Good advice, by the way. If you came just for that, that's good also. If you didn't know that before you came... Uh, then you have issues besides that. Because if you're, yeah, you know, okay, whatever, let's move on. Um, then comes in the, the soldier. The soldier comes in and says, hey, he says, I want to thank you also. Yesterday there was, you know, there was a soldier that drank a lot. He got so paranoid that he thought his friends are the enemies and he shot up all his friends. Now he said, you know, now he sent his life in prison. So, when we take this, this idea and we substitute the bartender for God, and us, for either the pregnant woman, the soldier, or the pilot, pick your fancy, you come in over there and you say, God, I don't understand, I did so much for you, can you give me a drink? Can you give me this life pleasure? Can you give me this? I'm waiting for this. And God says, no, now is not the right time. And we don't realize that we're upset, we're angry at God, just like those people are angry at the bartender. Why are you not giving me a drink? I need a drink right now, I want to pay for it, it's my own life. And God says, no. Right now, this is not for you. Later, it could be five years, ten years, a hundred years, a hundred and twenty years, that suddenly we'll realize, you know what? God really had our, be- our best intention in, in, you know, in for us. And we see, we do something good, and we change our life, and all of a sudden we're not anticipating, we're not seeing the, the, you know, the, the goodness that we anticipated to see. That doesn't mean that God is throwing you back in your face. That God's just telling you, this is not, what you think is good for you, doesn't necessarily mean that it's good for you right now. Now, the, 
idea with with inspiration so that we we sort of like bashed inspiration like you know like inspiration like is never gonna you know like what is inspiration if you think about it if you could pinpoint and i was i was trying to contemplate on this idea like what is the whole thing with inspiration what does inspiration do if you think about it and this is my own you know two cents inspiration makes you do whatever you want to do a lot easier it just the keyword easier you want to you want to Let's use you know losing weight, right? So you want to go to the gym, you want to exercise. Now you're inspired. It's easier than it was before. You'll wake up at 4 a.m. to run for you know whatever a mile because you're inspired. The second inspiration is gone, you know you're not waking up. But while it's there, it's easier for you to do that. Now there's a Mishnah in Pirkei Avot in the fourth chapter. It says She mitzvah gorarat mitzvah. When you do a good deed, it brings another good deed. Ve'avera gorarat abra. If you do a sin, it brings another sin. And even it goes furthermore. Shizchah mitzvah mitzvah. That we know what the reward of a, of a good deed is? Another good deed. Like, what does that mean? And a reward for a, or punishment for a sin is another sin. Now, what is that, what, what is the idea with this? There are, the Baratunun and the Rabbeinu Yonah both, both explain this concept. That when you do something that is, that is good, the next time it's gonna be easier for you to do something good. So if you do a good deed, the next time you do good, that good deed, it's going to be easier for you to do that. Not only is it going to be easier, but even if it's more difficult than the original good deed, you will still be able to do it much easier. Something that's very, very fascinating. The idea with this is, is the idea of the Gemara Psachim, in page 50b, that says, mitzvot. A person should always do good deeds and learn to what? Even if it's not for the right reasons. Why? Because when you do something not for the right reason, comes a good reason. What is this idea? The idea is like this. Let's say you want to donate money just to have your name on the wall. Let's say you want to do something not for the right reason. You should still do it. Why? Because it eventually will lead you to the right reason. Now what does that mean that it will eventually lead you to the right reason? The meaning behind that is that when you do it more and more, you're going to want to do it more and more. If you, and, this, and you could test this for yourself. You help somebody else, you want to help another person. It's like easier for you. When you do something good, all of a sudden like you want to do more good right after that. It's not something I'm like, okay, I just did it. No, like you want to do more. Like you feel so, you know, feel like a, you know, a 400 year old pregnant woman comes on the bus, right? Like there's like 14 reasons for you to stand up. And you want to be the first one to jump up. And you'd be like, you know, I want you to sit down in my seat. Like you want that. There's like a need. And after you do that, like now you want to do more good. There's like more that you want to do. Why? Because there's a mitzvah go'ah mitzvah. There's an idea that when you do something good, it makes you want to do more. The idea is is that first you do, and then you get inspired. Now let me explain this this concept. We know the Torah says the Jews. What do they say? Na'asad the nishma. First we will do, then we will hear. This is my own personal interpretation of uh, you know this uh, you know this pasuk. Na'asad. First we will do, then we will get inspired. Then we'll hear about the inspiration of how good it is. But first we're going to do it. The idea behind this is that a person is greatly affected by their actions. You take the worst person in the world. You take the worst person in the world and he's going to do or she's going to do a bunch of good deeds. That's going to affect that person. They're going to change into a good person. You take a, like an amazing person and you put them with the mafia. And they're, you know, they're being a hitman now. And they're just like taking out people. They're doing all the bad. No matter how good they are, they are eventually going to become a bad person. Because your actions lead you to who you are. Now, we, we think that, you know, you get motivated, then you get inspired, or you get inspired, then you get motivated, and that leads you to the action. That's incorrect. You know how it really works? This is the truth secret of this. First you do. You want to become a better person, you want to become a better spouse, you want to lose weight, you want... First you do the action. Then it will lead to your inspiration... And then it will lead to your motivation. The first thing people wait for the, you, the people wait for the inspiration to come. You know the idea is like 
I want to want to change. What does I want to want to change? Meaning, I want the inspiration to come to me, and then I want to change, and then hopefully I'll change. You're waiting for somebody else to inspire you. That's not how inspiration works. Inspiration works from within. This is a concept that I said before, and I think this is a genius of a concept, is the story of Humpty Dumpty. Very, very important you know, story. I've said this you know, before, and the idea is, is this is a children's story. Um, and if you think, by the way, if you think of any children's story, especially in the secular world, you think people have gone out of their minds. Ashes, ashes, we all fall down. It's about like murder or something. Yeah, like, the Black Plague, yeah. You're like, hey, everybody. Middle Ages, yeah. So it's, it's ridiculous. But let's, Humpty Dumpty, right? This is fascinating. Because you never think about, take like, uh, what's that, the three pigs? Is that called the three pigs? Okay, three little pigs. Right? Like, what type of story are you teaching your child? You know, child, be like, hey, there was a wolf. There was a wolf. No, it was a pig. There was a wolf. Yeah, there was a wolf, and they were running away from the bad man. And guess what? He hopped and he puffed and he blew his house down. I don't know what happened to the house of the bricks. Did they blow it down? No. The lesson is always build a house of bricks. Like, what are you teaching the kids? Because they're not going in construction. <laughs> be like, don't build a house of straw. Don't build a house. Of, what's the second one? Wood. Well, yeah. Straw. Sticks. sticks. Straw sticks. <laughs> What? Oh yeah. <laughs> That's right. Let's well, teach our kids. Yeah, stand up for yourself. But you think about it. This is something that you're teaching your kid. You know, it's like a good story. Um, little Red Riding Hood. A wolf ate her grandmother, dressed up like her grandmother. Oh, what big eyes you have! And be like. After you hear, after this little child hears about like and the wolf ate the grandmother and I don't know what happens at the end and you know I don't know little red riding took out a shotgun I don't know what she did but whatever it is and popped the cap in her whatever she did you know like uh, that's the hood right took a nine millimeter right took it put it out sideways you know like uh, you know like this is what you're teaching your kids and like good night darling have sweet dreams <laughs> so you think that, look at Humpty Dumpty Humpty Dumpty sat on the wall first of all Humpty Dumpty's an egg okay let's get this straight. Why does Humpty Dumpty have a face? Why is it you really want your kids to think that an egg has a face? And the next time the kid wants an egg, be like, "Well, this is Humpty Dumpty." Be like, "Humpty Dumpty sat on the wall. Humpty Dumpty had a great fall. All the king's men, well, we're doing that we're checking for the blood, right? All the king's men, oh, I couldn't find Humpty Dumpty. Eggs, you know, like they're delicious. Look at that baby Humpty Dumpty. You know, like, but you think about the concept. Humpty Dumpty sat on the wall. Humpty Dumpty had a great fall. All the king's men, all the king's horses, couldn't put Humpty Dumpty back together again. Good night. Be like, you know, the kid be like, if a smart kid be like. <clears throat> the, the way that you would anticipate that story to end will be like, all the king's men, all the king's... Is that all the king's horses? Okay, whenever a horse is involved in helping somebody with like... A horse is going to be like, well, you know, like... Well, I think what you should do over here is patch some hay into my mouth and some carrots, and then maybe you'll find a good idea. But let's put that idea on the side. Uh, you know, like... You, you take this, you know, take this thing, so all the king's men, we're taking the horses. Horses are not going to help you over here, right? All the king's men couldn't put Humpty Dumpty back together again. The way that it should have, should have ended is, all the king's men and all the king's women help put Humpty Dumpty back together again, and happily ever after they lived. And Humpty Dumpty, you know, found his princess, and they had many chickens, and they had, it was just amazing. You know, like, that's the way it should end. Not that nobody could put them back together again. What type of lesson are you teaching your kids? But the truth is, I don't think the writer of this, you know, deathly poem, you know, the, thought about this, but you know why Humpty Dumpty can't put, can't be put back together again? Because 
only Humpty Dumpty can put himself back together again. You could have all the king's men, and if it's a fairy tale, all the king's horses and all the king's frogs and all the king's flies, they can try as much as they want to put Humpty Dumpty back together again, but guess what? The only person that can fix you is you. When you're starting to look about outside influence, when you're trying to look at outside inspiration, and that's what I'm going to change, guess what? You're never going to change. It's never going to happen. You know when I become more religious when I get inspired, and all of a sudden I'll marry a guy that wants me to become... No, like that's not going to happen. You're waiting for Humpty Dumpty. And if you're waiting for Humpty Dumpty, then guess what? You're going to break and fall, and you're going to be scrambled eggs on the floor. That's all that you're going to be. You want to be changed. You want to be true. It's only going to come from with you. There was a story that uh, <clears throat> there was a few days before Pesach. Went over, somebody went over to Rabbi Yashiv. Now, when you're going before Pesach to any rabbi, it's very, very difficult to get in touch because there's so much going on. Now, imagine the biggest rabbi in the world at the time, Rabbi Yashiv. So you come in, this, and this, this was a father, very distinguished, beard, the long coat, the full, you know, the, you know, he's got the, you know, dressed the way that, you know, like any other rabbis, but he says, I need to see the rabbi, I need to get a blessing. So the gabai, the assistant, the shamash told him, said, listen, this is not happening. This is like a few days before Pesach. No one's getting it. The rabbi's so busy. You have to come afterwards. And the person said, listen, I'll tell you my story, and then you can decide. The guy leans over, whispered his story. The guy says, come this way. You're coming right in. He goes right in. Eliashev, you know, is, is middle of doing whatever he's doing, and he looks surprised. Like, what's, you know, you know what's, what's going on here? So the guy says, this person needs a very, very special blacha. needs a very, very special blessing. So this person begins to speak, and he says, he goes to the rabbi. He says, rabbi... He says, I came here several years ago, but I came here under, def- uh, you know, a little bit of a different, uh, you know, context. I came here seven, you know, several years ago to buy your chametz. He says, you see, Rabbi, a few years ago, when I came here, I was not Jewish. And I came and I saw you, and I was so inspired. I'm like, this is how a holy person looks like? He says, this is what a connection is? He says, I want that. I changed my life around. I went to to, con, to you know to convert. I ended up marrying another convert, and then I had a child. And this is my child that I'm coming to you today, and I want a blessing for my child. That's what. I, and Rabbi Asher gave him a whole big blessing and a whole long you know the bizarre you, you know he should grow up you know you know big time and so you know amazing amazing blessing. Now, what's the idea? Like he came in over there, saw an amazing inspiration you know of a rabbi. There are many people who see the rabbi all the time. They don't get inspired to change their lives. There are many Jews that go to big rabbis. Do they all of a sudden start learning 14 hours a day? No, but, they're met, but there's, there's a non-Jew that came in, saw the face of a rabbi, was so inspired just by the way that this rabbi looks, decided he's changing his entire life. Married, now he's in college, now he's learning Torah all day. Now what happens, because the idea is, inspiration doesn't change you, it's you who change you. You tend to see, there are many people that see the same scenario. One person can get inspired by it, another person cannot get inspired by it. Because the idea is, it's not the inspiration, it's you. It's always been about you. You're the one that changed yourself. Now, I heard a very, very interesting story. There was one time, a rabbi in sixth grade, um, that was uh, was teaching his, in the first day of school, uh, anybody teachers over here? Of, of higher than a preschool, like like higher grades? Okay, so the way that it works, and this is, I'm, you know, I'm not a teacher, so I don't know, but the way that it works, especially when you're dealing with elementary up to a certain grade, like when you come in, you got to show them who's boss. It's like, there's like, there's like no smart. I remember, like when I, like I've had a few teachers that work this way. Like I remember, like for the first like few weeks of class in, you know, in high school, like even in high school, I remember this very clearly, there was not a smile out of the rabbi. Just came in there like this. And like, I felt like, 
you know, he would burn people with his, his sphere, like, I'm like, I'm like, my soul is melting, stop looking at me, you know, like, it was like, literally, and he was like, strict, and guess what, like, he didn't even do anything, it was like, somebody was misbehaving, he was like, <laughs> and the person just sort of like, just like sunk in a little bit, you know, clutched his heart, you know, maybe his, you know, his arm a little bit, and, uh, you know, like, it went, they just like went down, like, very, very strict, so the, the idea is that they teach you this apparently in like, you know, there's no, right? There is, there is, right? Yeah. The idea is that if you show the kids who's boss, they're not gonna, they're not gonna, you know, they're, they're gonna know who's boss. So the sixth grade rabbi comes in, and, you know, he's doing his thing, you know, strict face, you know, looking at everybody, and all of a sudden he sees somebody going, you know, under the Gemara over there, and they sort of be, seem to be involved with something else. So the rabbi walks up close to this person, and he sees, it, First day of class, the kid's playing with baseball cards. So the rabbi is like so shocked. It's the first day of class. He grabs the baseball cards, and in front of the kid, he rips them, he rips them up. And the kid, sixth grade, starts crying. And the rabbi doesn't say a word. He felt the second that he did it, he's like, ooh. You know, like, oh, I kind of should not have done that. You know when you do, you do something, you're like, oh, I messed up. But then you're like, okay. I'm not going to tell them that I messed up. You know, like, sometimes, let's say you're, uh, you know, I don't know, friends, parents, any relationship, that all of a sudden you get mad at someone, and then you realize this is such a stupid thing, but, like, I've gone too far. You know, like, there's no turning back over here. But, like, no, okay? You should have put the hanger away. No, 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 you don't, you don't tell me. Yeah, yeah, no, 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 You know, like, there's no words, because, like, it's so stupid. Like, well, you're like, you're like, like, you don't even care about me. You don't love me. You, you know, like, there's like no words to say, but like, come on, you're, you're talking nonsense. Like, okay, it's just a hanger, relax, you know. It's not about a hanger, you know. It's about everything else that happened, right? 14 million years ago, you didn't buy me flowers, you know, like, whatever it is. Um, and by the way, this could be equally to the husband or to the wife. This is not prejudice, right? Uh, um, men also need flowers. Um, uh, what I, I don't know. Okay. <laughs> you know, to your own imagination, take this where you want. Okay. But anyways, so the rabbi felt bad. But the rabbi didn't say anything. The next, so, so the, the rabbi went to all, all the boys left the class. And then the, the rabbi saw, you know, went to this boy, his name was David. He goes over to David and says, David, please come here for a second. I want to talk to you. And, you know, the rabbi says, do you know why I ripped up your cards? And he's like, yeah, rabbi, I understand that I was doing something wrong. I know that I was doing something wrong, but do you really need to rip them up? Can't you have just taken them away and give it back to me later? And the rabbi said, he says, you know what? You know, David, you're right. I shouldn't have ripped it up. And I feel really bad. He says, I want to make it up to you. So the boy said, David said, listen, he says, rabbi, these are priceless cards. These are cards that are worth money. These are my prized possessions. You know, like, you can't make it up to me. And the boy left. The rabbi thought about thought about it, thought about it, and the next day, the rabbi comes with a big black bag into, into the class. Right in the morning, the rabbi, you know, takes a bag, black bag, puts it on his desk, and he calls up this sixth grader. He calls up David and says, come, you know, come to the desk, come to the front. And the whole class is watching, and the rabbi takes out this beautiful portrait of the vision of the rabbi. It's a big, it's a big rabbi. And he goes to the entire class and says, well, yesterday, you know, I ripped up David's prized possession. So I want to give David my most prized possession. He says, this is a picture that I took of the... There's only one picture like this in the world because I took it. It was a beautiful picture of the vision of the rabbis with his two sons. Very, very big rabbi. And he says, I want to present you with a nice big frame. I want to present you this picture. And the rabbi told him, he says, someday these, this picture is going to mean a lot more to you than those baseball cards ever meant it. The boy took it. It was like, I felt it was a prize. And whatever. You know, the, the year moved on. The next year, you know, David and his family, they moved to England. They moved out of, you know, out of the country. 
and the rabbi lost touch with him. 20 years go by, 20 years go by, and um, he, this, you know, this rabbi is, you know, sitting in some, I don't know, supermarket, whatever it was, and all of a sudden, you know, a young man with a small beard comes over to him and he says, you know, rabbi, he says, how are you? And, you know, rabbi can't recognize people from sixth grade, you know, like, you know, like, you know, add all the, you know, a beard and, uh, you know, like, and we're not talking about Sephardi schools, because Sephardi, you know, everybody by sixth grade, they have beards. But I'm saying, like, generally speaking, right, you know, like, you know, you're talking about, you know, an Ashkenaz, you know, Hasidish place, you know, they don't have nothing, you know, they wait until they're 45, and then they grow the beard. Um, and so he sees, you know, man with a young, you know, young man with a beard, he says, I'm sorry, you know, like, you know, like, Shemarba, who are you? He says, Rabbi, you don't, I know you don't probably recognize me, but I was in your class, you know, 20 years ago. And he starts bringing him back, you know, like, you know, the picture and that. And he's like, oh, yes, of course, my house, everything. And he's like, great, you know, everything's amazing. And he goes to Rabbi and says, Rabbi, maybe you can help me out. You know, I just came back from Israel. I was learning in yeshiva over there in Kolel, and you know, I'm married. I am looking for a job, and I want to know if you have anything. So the rabbi says, "What are you? Uh, what are you looking to do?" He says, "I actually, I want to become a rabbi. I want to become a teacher." So the you know the rabbi says, "That's perfect. We're looking for somebody in your old school where you are. We're looking for somebody." He says, "Maybe you know, you know, you, you'll be able to fit you know the, you know that position." And you know, the student says, "Listen, rabbi. So with all due respect, you know, like." I'm not really fit to be back where I was before. He says, I kind of have a past. So the, you know, the rabbi says, oh, it doesn't matter. Was, you know, you hear where you are now, go do it. He says, listen, he says, no, I, I kind of have a serious past. Like, I don't think I'm fit to become that type of, you know, rabbi or teacher. So the, um, the student then goes and says, listen, he says, let me explain to you my past and then you can tell me if I'm fit for this job or if I'm not fit for this job. And the student goes on and it says, says, listen, you know, after my family moved to England, he says, I had a very, very hard time adjusting. And I couldn't find any friends and different accents, different, everything went, and it went from bad to worse till eventually, you know, I got kicked out of from one school to another school. I eventually, you know, met up with the wrong type of crowd. And we were doing things from petty crimes to drugs to everything else. And slowly but slowly, you know, my payout fell off and my yarmulke fell off and my tzitzit fell off. And I just completely, like, threw everything away. He says, as I got older, <coughs> I, um, you know, my friends sort of drifted apart. He says, one, he says, I had a friend that went to Tibet and I had a friend that went to Thailand. And then I had a friend that went to India. And he says, I decided that I'm going to Israel. And as I went to Israel, I went to the most anti-religious kibbutz that money could, you know, like, like the best of the best, you know, like against religion. Uh, literally to guess. And he says, I felt right at home over there. He says, we did over there, we worked the land during the day, and nights and at weekends we were at the beaches of Tel Aviv or a lot. That's where we went and we party. And this went on for years. Until finally my friends, this, you know, decided that one weekend they're going to a lot. Anybody that doesn't know Israel a lot is like, you know, getaway town, there's a lot of, beach activity, whatever, you know, it's like near Egypt, uh, good weather, you know, I guess almost all year round, and um, so he says after, you know, uh, my friends went, and I said, you know what, I'm not feeling up to it, he said, I felt like some sort of void, like I sort of like, okay, like what life, sort of like a boring, all parties, of par- from party, going from party to party, committing petty crimes, it's like, it just doesn't do it for you, you know, after a while, and he says, I was sitting over there, it was Friday afternoon, I was like, you know, like, I kind of missed you know, the Shabbat table by my parents. You know, I kind of missed it. And he says, Rabbi, I says, then, you know, I remembered you. And the Rabbi says, you remembered me. And he says, and the truth is, you know, the student tells the Rabbi, he says, the reason why I am where I am today is because of you. And the rest is because of me. Like, what did I do? And he, and he goes on and says, remember that picture that you gave me? And he's like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And the student says, you know, I was sitting over there in Israel, in the kibbutz, and I was completely devoid of everything. And, you know, I think, and I decided, you know what, for some odd reason, I felt I needed to see the vision of the Rebbe. And I decided that I'm going to Bnei Brak, 
which if anybody doesn't know, it, you take bar park and you put it on steroids and that is the introduction to Bnei Bok, right? That's just like the beginning part of it. But like, you know, like Bnei Bok is like, you know, like it's like some serious business going on over there. Like, you know, it gets in the summer. It gets about 400 degrees Fahrenheit right over there, and everybody's wearing the black coat. It's like it's like some serious thing. They're learning while in the, it's amazing. Don't get me wrong. They're learning while they're in the street. You know, like it's like. By the way, they, if I'm not mistaken, they have the highest life expectancy in Israel. I think is a banana block. If I'm not mistaken, I may you know I may be wrong in this. And there's no gym in every corner, and they're not selling what are those smoothie yogurts, whatever they call. Well, it does. Oh, maybe that's what it was. It has a high side. Yeah, but anyways, he, go, he goes over there and he decides, you know what? I'm going to see the Vishnu's Rebbe in Bnei Brak. So he packs up his knapsack, his backpack. He puts his here in a pony and he makes his way to Bnei Brak. He comes to Bnei Brak a few hours before Shabbat. He goes over to the Vishnu's place over there and he goes over and he says, listen, I need to see the rabbi. And the rabbi over there says, listen, it's a few hours before Shabbat. You can't see. The rabbi is not available to see somebody now. He says, why don't you go and come back when there's a tish? I don't know how to explain a tish to anybody who has never seen a tish before. <laughs> um, if you ever, I, you know, when I was in Israel, I went to a few, you know, Hasidish tishes. It's something you've never seen before. There's like bleachers. There's a rabbi. There's like singing. I, I can't explain it. There's like no good. All I could say is just go online and search for like rabbi's tish and just like see. I, I can't, like as much as I would like to describe it, I can't describe it. It's like, not really, it's like singing, and you have like a bunch of people, like people on bleachers sitting over there, <coughs> and the rabbi is sitting down over there, they give us a small lecture, but then there's like singing, and then everybody's singing, everybody's dancing in place. And I remember, I think it was a bells of tish, if I, if I know if I'm not mistaken, I was in there, <coughs> I was sitting, I was standing on one of the bleachers. It felt, I'm like, this is being saved by the grace of God. There was bleachers that were built in arts and crafts by 14-year-olds. You know, it, it was like, and, and people were singing and dancing. And people went up. And then people went down. And the bench went down. And then people went up. And the bench went up. <laughs> you know, I was like, this is not safe. And let me just explain to you, the people that are doing these jumping... Remember how we were talking about obesity is not like or beer bellies? You're talking about people that are very, very, very much heavily in love with their wife's cooking, um, and it was something that, you know, and I was there. I was like, I was like, we were, I was sitting together, and I was thinking, you know, like it was, a, you know, like it was like going down, it's going up. I'm like, you know, like, and then I was like, okay, I was like. You know, in my mind, the way my mind, I'm like, oh, what's the escape plan? If this falls, okay, I'm going to grab onto this guy's strimal, you know, hold on to his payout over here. You know, like, how am I going to, you know, how am I going to, and it, this, so he says, listen, you want to see the rabbi, go to the tish. If you still don't know what a tish is, by the way, if you don't know what a tish is, you have, you have to just experience. If anybody ever is in Israel and doesn't see a tish, they lost it. You have to go see a tish. It's like something, forget about, forget about like Shariah from the rabbi. Shrine for the. You go from the. You go from the. You have to see from the women's section, right? It's that safe. So, um, the it's it, what I've seen is like people. Uh, yeah, I can't even explain. I can't even speak about it. So, every Friday, every Friday night. Oh yeah, yeah. Some of the shows also. So, they go and um, he says, "Listen, you want to speak to the rabbi? Come to the tish." So he says, "Fine." He goes and he says, "But I need somewhere to stay for Shabbat. I'm not from here." So he says, okay, fine, let me, and he calls over the Mashgiach. The Mashgiach is the one that takes care of these things. And, you know, he sees a guy in Bnei Bak with a ponytail, you know, and a backpack. And he's like, okay, you know, like, 
you know, slicha, you know, where do you want to stay for? And the guy was a Hasidic guy. He says, listen, he spoke to him in fluent Yiddish back. He, well, you know, so, you know, so he was saying, like, you know, where do you want? He was speaking in fluent Yiddish. So the guy says, okay, fine, you know, we'll take care of you. You know, like, I'm not that they would take any care of him anyways, but he realized where this guy's coming from. So they set him up with a place to sleep, a place to stay, and after the tish, uh, after the meal, the guy goes to the tish, and he's sitting over there in, in his ponytail, and he's sitting there over there by this rabbi with all the chassidim, everyone singing and dancing, and he felt something that he's never felt before. And then, like halfway through it, suddenly the rabbi, like you know, like gets up from his like thing, stares at him, and does something like this, right? <laughs> Which is the same idea if you're standing in an Italian mafia's den, and the guy is smoking a cigar. And you're standing in the corner, just, I don't know, you're writing, you're a reporter for whatever reason, right? And you're sitting over there and you're writing notes, and all of a sudden the mafia goes and goes, does this, right? This is on the way you write, and my last will and testament will be, you know, like, and then you continue writing. So the rabbi goes to him and goes like this. So, you know, what happens is Hasidim go, you know, Kirat Yamsuf, and he just like walks in slowly. And the rabbi takes his hand, smiles at him, does like the double, you know, the double handshake. It's like he says so, but he, you know, it's like it's like a it's like a hug in the hands. You know, like do the both, and he says, and all the rabbi says to him is like, "Good Shabbos," and the guy says, "You know, good Shabbos," and he's like, and that just like, you know, it's like, oh, it's like, you know, like he didn't even know what to do with that. He's like, I gotta see the rabbi again. And he comes home the next night. He decides he went to the shalshedis, and finally Shabbat is over. He goes over to the rabbi and he wants to wish rabbi, you know, a a good tevach. Um, you know, you know, have a happy, successful week. I don't know how to translate that. Whatever. Um, have a good week. And he goes over to the rabbi and he goes and he shakes the rabbi's hand and he says, you know, rabbi, you know, I want to wish you, a, you know, a good tevach. And I want to, you know, I want to say, you know, like it was really a pleasure being here. I would like to, you know, come here again sometime. And the rabbi responded to him. We would love to have you. We would love to have you again. And for some reason, this just like the waterworks opened up. He felt like something was like speaking, you know, like crawling inside him. And then he just like started crying. In front of the rabbi, the rabbi's, you know, sitting there and he just started, all, he just started crying. And the rabbi was still holding his hand. The rabbi looked at him and says, please don't go back anymore. We need you right here. And this is the student telling the story to the rabbi. He says, rabbi says, I never returned to the kibbutz. He says, I stayed over there. In you know in, in you know in the visions thing, and then I went and I became more religious. I became more from, and then when I became more religious, and then I went and they they read me a you know a shiduch, and finally I got married, and then I ended up sitting in kolel. I was learning after marriage, and now I came back you know to America. Now I want to get a job. Now it says says the rabbi. It says, it goes to the rabbi. It says rabbi, now you have my history. He says you know where I'm coming from. He says, do you really think that I'm worthy of going and teaching these type of kids? And the rabbi says, I couldn't think of anybody better than you. He says, you know what it means, the power of learning to lie. You know what it means to connecting to these children. He says, you are hired. He says, you have the job if you want it. The idea is, is what, what we're looking at over here, we're looking at over here the idea of inspiration. So he gave him a picture that really changes life. No, that, that, the idea is that he was looking for inspiration. He was looking to be changed. He saw it whenever he wanted to see it. The idea is people wait and they try to you know, get inspired. They try to get, it doesn't matter about that. It matters about you. You want to get inspired. You want to change. Guess what? You'll have it. You'll, you know, it'll change. You know? So now we have to try to figure out understanding. 
you know, I don't understand how it's so late. I really don't understand. I've been cutting, usually I prepare a lot of material, and that's why I have to sew back. So I'm like, I started cutting down on the material that I'm going to want to present. And like, I'm still, no matter what, how much material it is, I come up at this time, I still have more to, more, more to do. So I, it just doesn't work. Like, I could come with one page, it would probably still be, you know, it would probably still take a long time. Okay, but let's, let's try to pick up the speed a little bit and try to understand this. How does inspiration work? How can you utilize inspiration? How can you create inspiration? Very, very important. I want to share with you a, um, you know, a, a short idea, a short story, if I could. A wife gets upset at her husband, and she says, "Listen," he says, "You know, every day you come home from work, you put your coat on the banister, put your coat in the coat closet." And the husband goes and says, listen, I have to go pray in five minutes. He says, why should I put my coat in the coat closet if I'm leaving in five minutes? And she says, no, do it. And he says, no, no, no. You know, they're going back and forth. And they're going on for years and years and years. And, uh, you know, so, and, and it makes the wife so upset. And the guy doesn't understand. He says, why is my wife so upset? It's a stupid coat. And I, I, I'll put it on later. What's, what's the big deal? And so, so I was trying to explain this idea that it's something that's very, very important. The idea is not only about what the person, your spouse, your loved one requests from you, but the idea is that if something is important to her, or if something is important to him, then it should be important to you. And if it's not important to you, and I have to be very careful what I'm about to say, then it shows in some angle that you don't care about her, or you don't care about him. If she constantly tells you, this is important to me, and you say it doesn't make sense, the first answer is, it will never make sense. Just like, just learn to be, deal with that. Like, it doesn't make sense. Men and women, different, different beings. It just will never make sense. But if something is important to her, or important to him, and you don't, are not doing that, you're just showing that it's not important to you. Now, if you love someone, you'll do it because it's important for the other pa- spouse. It's important for them, then it should be important for you. And the person was able to go and decide, you know what? They made it important for themselves, and then they never forgot about it again. Once you make it, so if something's important for your spouse, make it important for you, because then you will never forget about it. You have to make something important. The, and by the way, by you doing this for your spouse, you think, okay, now my spouse will love me more because I'm doing it. Just the opposite. Now you're going to love her more, or you're going to love him more, because when you're doing something for him, ahava, we said this many times, the root of ahava is love is giving. When you give to your spouse, then you're going to love the spouse more. Not that that spouse is going to love you more, that also, but the true, the true benefit comes from, from you. Now, when we go and we're doing a mitzvah, there's two ways to do a mitzvah. You can do a mitzvah because it's important, you know, you know you need to do it. Or you can do it because God told you to do it. You can tell God, listen, I have no clue why I have to do this. It makes no sense to me. But guess what? I love you. And it's, if it's important to you enough to ask for me to do it, I want to do it. The, the, the level of you doing it, it makes, you make it important. The, you know, the idea here is something very interesting. If you love someone, you will do something for them because you love them. If you fear someone, you will do something because you love yourself. You don't want to get the punishment from that. That's a, that's a, by the way, that's a crazy say, statement that I just said. If you love someone, you'll do something for them, for them. If you fear someone, you'll do something for them because of you. Because you just care about yourself. You don't want to get the repercussions or whatever that's going to happen after that. So, you know, the idea, you know, leads to the, to know that you haven't, we have an obligation to love God. Why do we have to love God? Like what, really? Why do we have to love God? In fact, the, there's a pasuk in Devarim, Deuteronomy, chapter 28, verse 47. We gotta pick it up because it's getting late. I wanna finish in, in about 10-ish minutes. Um, don't time me. Uh, the, um, 
It says in the pasuk. It says it says tachat ashelo avatat Hashem elokecha besimcha. In Devarim chapter twenty-eight verse forty-seven, it says because you didn't serve God out of happiness, there's going to be a whole tochacha. There's going to be a lot of destruction and calamity. There's going to be tremendous amount of punishment that's coming to you. The question is really because I didn't serve God out of joy. I did the mitzvah. But I didn't do it out of joy, that's why I'm going to get punished. What's the big deal? Why is joy so important? And the answer is, is that when you think, you know, there's some people that are complainers. And, you know, I get to speak to a lot, you know, to the public, and I get to see these type of people. I had one guy, came over to my house once. I've never seen somebody complain so much. Everybody owed him something. He couldn't say a good thing about anybody else. I'm like, you're so, you know, like, you're so unhappy. Everybody had to do something for him. I'm like, why does someone else have to do something for you? Like, no. They don't have to do something for you. I, you know, I've had conversations that, you know, people, you know, sometimes call me with dating problems. And they say, I understand, you know, uh, you know, let's say it's a girl. So this guy is not doing this for me, not doing this for me, not doing this for me. I'm like, you will never get married. Usually I don't get phone calls back again for that person. But like, you don't, if you're, if that's the way you're thinking about like, how come he is not doing more for me? Like, you're done. Like, why are you so selfish? Like, really, that's all you care about? Like, well, I was sick, and he didn't bring me soup. Well, he is not my man for me. I'm like, that's why you're 45 and single, and staying that way. Like, when you stop thinking only about yourself, when you stop thinking only about what you care about, there are some people that they are constantly complaining about life. You don't hear a good word that comes out of them. They're always complaining about it. The, you know, the... um, the, you know, the idea is, is that if somebody's always complaining, they're, they're, they're ungrateful. You know, when you're complaining to God, it means that you don't appreciate what God has done for you. If you don't appreciate what God has done for you, that comes from one source and one source only, that you don't love God. You don't love God. If you realize, if you have a love connection with somebody, you don't see bad of that person. You only see something, you only see something good. The Shea Sharim, the Shlomo Malach says like this, in chapter 2, verse 5, it says, Ki I'm sickly in love. You know what's sickly in love? There's a rabbi, his name is Rabbi Rappaport. He was so involved in Judaism, he was like, like even when he was walking, he was learning. He was the type of guy, and this is a true story that happened, he was walking so involved in learning that he got like too wrapped up, that he walked into a pole. But that's not the end. The, the, like the surprising part is that he goes to the pole and says, excuse me, I'm sorry. And then he keeps on walking. And then Because he, he's so involved, when you're someone so sickly in love, there are some people that do that for other reasons, you know? And they're like, you want to you take this outside? You want to take this outside? You know, like, you know, like, you know, like, I don't care if you made out of steel. You know, like, I will take you down. You know, like, there are different people. This rabbi, you know, he was like so involved, so infatuated, so in love with God and the Torah and the, everything, that he bumped into a, an object, and he was like, you know, and like, no, I'm sorry. You know, like, you know, excuse me. And then he kept on walking. You know, the, you know, the idea is, the, the Rambam explained this, that someone who is so connected to God, it's like sort of like you're being drunk with happiness. You're like, you're so connected, you're like, I can't. There's like nothing more that I can do, I'm so connected. The, the Malbim explains that Shlomo HaMelech, King Solomon, was, spoke to God two times, but he never forgot it. He says, it, it says, your love is greater for me than wine. He was so infatuated by it. You know why it's such a problem that if somebody goes and doesn't serve God out of love? Because if you're not serving God out of love, that means that your connection with God at its root is flawed. You have a problem over there. What are you serving God out of fear? That means you're serving it for yourself. The connection, the high, one of the highest levels of serving God is serving God out of love. The, you know, the idea with, with this, let's see if I have time to, okay, we're going to do this really fast. Oh, there's so much good stuff. Okay, let's, we'll go through it quick. No, it's, it's hot and it's tired, I, you know. It's free, oh, yeah, it's freezing, it's hard, I'm sorry. Okay, so, so turn on the heat. Oh, okay. So, I don't know. 
Okay, so now, um, let's take this to another, actually, you know what? When you're, um, the idea with, with inspiration and also and how, and how to gain more inspiration is, one of them is we said you have to just do it. Just do it and then you'll get inspired. Forget about getting inspired and then doing whatever you want to do. First do it and then inspiration will come afterwards. But there's another idea also that you gotta, you gotta learn about, you know, certain, you know, you gotta learn about it. And we spoke about this before, the idea of what is the purpose of life? Like what is, what are you here for? Like people contemplate that usually on the beach while like, you know, like, they're like, yes, what is the purpose? You know, like what, why are we here? And then, you know, with the attention span of Americans lasts about seven seconds, usually ends with like nothing. But, uh, uh, when we think about it, what is the purpose of life? You think about the difference of, of let's say, um, Set, making an animal satisfied versus making a a human satisfied. That worked, whatever you did, but, but it's it's cool. Oh, it's 62. That's why. So, I mean, it's nice. I, I'm you guys. Uh, and, uh, um, so now, so it's all being controlled by the mind. Okay. You should know, by the way, that the way that it works with body temperature, and you, you, if you practice it, you're able to you're able to control it. You could control your body temperature with your with your mind. You could literally do it. You could go in the freezing cold, and you could be shivering, and then one second later, you like sort of compose yourself. You're like, it's not so bad. You know, like it's really not it's really not that bad. You're able to do that. You're able you're able to control. It. It's the same way if you're. It's a mad thing. I had somebody who came to my class yesterday and you know what he told me? He says he didn't wear a coat for one winter because he was too lazy to go buy it. <laughs> so he didn't have, he didn't wear, just, just didn't wear a coat, just wore it. Um, in Siberia, huh? they make them go out in a bathing suit and put freezing that's why the way that it started off, like in Siberia, we drank, you know, vodka as a baby. <laughs> Which is true, yeah, yeah. Okay. That's true. So, uh, so now when you look at the idea of of like the purpose of life, you could you could get many things, like money, fame, you know, family. You the the easiest way, the one of the m- most important things that you can learn from any Hollywood star is that all those things, money, fame. Um, you know, parties, they don't necessarily buy you happiness. They don't. You see all these people, they still have anxiety, they still have depression, they still have marital problems, they still have all these things. So, when you think about it, and I heard that, you know, Rabbi Yitzhakfinger, you know, you know, in one of his books, you know, speaks about it. He says, imagine you want to make a plant happy. How do you make a plant happy? Very simple. Light, air, water equals happiness for a plant. That's like all you need. What? I don't know. If it's you know very needy plants, but you know generally plants, light, air, water. That's all they need, and they're 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 happy. How do you make a cow happy? How do you make it? So you need light, air, water, some more, yeah, some more, something more to you know to eat, maybe some exercise, you know, a female cow, whatever it is, you know, and it's done. It's happy. Now, how do you make a human being happy? Is it like you realize the status quo? So like a plant needs, let's say, three things. A cow needs five things. A human being needs seven billion things. Like it doesn't. It's not just three things extra. Like how do you make a human happy? You really ever think about that? Like what makes it? Like why is it so different? In fact, you know, you know, like a, a Maslow hierarchy of needs. Anybody who ever had, you know, taken psychology before, I apologize for mentioning this. Um, this probably takes you back to very dark times. Um, but like, there's so many needs. So you have first a psychological, then the safety, then the belonging, then you have the esteem, then you have self, you know, you have so many needs. Why are human beings so needy? Why do we need so much just to feel appreciated, just to feel happy? The, 
You know that you know the idea is, is that when when God tells Abraham Avinu lech lecha go for you God was testing Abraham and he says go for you what does it mean go for you God was testing him but he's saying go for you means go because it's good for you God's commandments is good for us we think about okay what's God doing for us it's like choking us Plato if we could quote him said and I'm quoting freedom is the power to limit oneself. People think freedom is a power to, I can do whatever I want. No. You can do whatever you want, doesn't mean that you're free. Freedom is a power to limit yourself. When the power says, no, I'm not gonna take another cigarette. No, I'm gonna put the cake down. Like that, the freedom is, is the power that you have to hold yourself back. But let's take this a step further. Let's take this a step further. People do anything, we spoke about this idea before. The foundation of someone's drive to do some, to do anything is pleasure. You think about it. Like why do people go to school? You gotta go through like crazy homework and tests. Nobody enjoys. Well, there's like one percent that enjoys school, right? Those are always the weird people, right? We all know that. Okay, so they're like, they're, they're, you know, like, but successful. I didn't finish yet. But successful people, um, you know, they go and they. You know, the truth is, I happen to love studying. I do. I enjoy, you know, studying. I do. Like, so I, you know, I put myself. I, I, you know, I am weird. So, probably, yeah. Um, <laughs> so, you're the one percent, the top one percent. Um, so. When you go and you, and you look, you know, at this, yeah, people go to school. Why do they go to school? Because they want to get a job. Why do they want to get a job? Because they want, they want to make money. Why do they want to make money? Because they want to buy things. Why do they want to buy things? Because it's going to make me happy. At the end of the day, when you take any item, it's, it's crazy. You take anything. Why do you want to get married? At the end of the day, because it's going to make me happy. Even kids, even things that you do, you do good for other people. At the end of the day, it boils down to one thing, because it's going to make me happy. And that's why this is very, very bad when people go on, especially in the dating world, you're dating somebody, and why do people you know, break up? Let's say they're almost engaged. Like, he doesn't make me happy. I'm like, oh, I, I didn't realize that was his obligation. Was he signing up to like making you happy? Or maybe you're looking at a wrong angle. Maybe you have to make him happy, and he has to make you happy. But it's a different angle that people look at it. The people look at it about what am I receiving from this, not what am I, am I going to give. The, the point is that our things that push us to do things in our life is pleasure. We want to get the greatest pleasure possible. And in fact, if you want to determine what's the, obje- what's the greatest objective of, of, of a person, you take a... Um, I don't know, a supercomputer. Like something that's, you know, like you take a, a very, very expensive camera and you want to know what, you could, you could use that as a door stopper if it's heavy enough, but that's not going to be its, you know, optimal use for it. The optimal use for it is use it as a camera, use it as a laptop, use it as a computer, use it whatever it is. You take a car, you could use it to relax, but it's meant to drive. It's meant to go and rent. You go and you buy the most expensive car, but you sit there to take pictures. Right, and you do that thing, which I don't want to get to it again because I think we spoke about this before. You do like all these, you know, that's not the point of the car. The point of the car is to get you from point A to point B. Everything else is extra and everything else is the bonus part. But you take something and you realize the, the ultimate reason of why we, why we do something, if you take anything, you realize what is the purpose of this? What is the purpose of human being? What do we do best? You know what we do best? We search for pleasure. That's what we do best. We do something that's going to go, even religion. Somebody's going to give up something because ultimately it's going to be better for me. Ultimately, it's going to give me the greatest pleasure. Everything that we do in our life can be broken down for 99% of the people is to what's going to give me the greatest pleasure at that. But I'll sacrifice now. Well, like I'm not saying it's wrong. Mishael Sham says that. Mishael Sham, right in the beginning, in the first chapter, it says that a person was created. A person was created to benefit from God, to enjoy God, to be, receive the pleasure from it. Now, the idea is, is that what's the greatest pleasure? Like, what is the greatest pleasure? You can't, there's nothing that, there's nothing in the world that will give you the greatest pleasure. Because the idea is there's something called hedonic adaptation. The idea behind this is that something good happened to you, eventually you'll get used to it. 
you'll find the perfect guy or whatever, the man is finds the perfect woman. But whatever it is, eventually you'll get used to it. So in the beginning you'll be like, it's called the infatuation stage. But the infatuation is not only in relationships, it's in everything. You get a new job, you're making a new paycheck, you're in the infatuation stage, you're like, oh, this is awesome. But eventually you'll get used to it, and then what happens is, your bank account is just, it stays more or less the same because you're just using the more money that you made. It's like you get used to the situation that you are in. So great pleasure, in order to get something at the greatest pleasure, it means is that it's constantly growing in pleasure. The way that the world works, the way that our body works, when we're doing any sort of pleasure, it decreases the more that you do it. The more that you do it, the worse, the worse of it. You take anything, sinful, not sinful, doesn't matter. It will decrease in time. You take the most expensive steak ever, like whatever, you know... It, it, you know, it's made from a unicorn of a, you know, like a cow that doesn't, it's made from the red heifer, you know, whatever it is, you know, like you're taking a cow, you know, like that, you know, it's, it's been, you had a massage every day, you, did, you know, and people were just talking very nice pleasantries into it, and, it, you know, it had a, you know, besides a deep tissue massage, it also has mud bath every day, soaked in, you know, like, and just constantly being fed, it's the best meat that you could ever buy, right, $7,000 a steak, whatever it is, you'll eat it, the first bite, delicious. Second bite, delicious. Third bite, delicious. By the fourth, fifth, sixth bite, it's like, it's good, but I'm like, okay, I enjoy this much. I enjoy this much. Eventually, the more, you'll finish one thing, you'll be like, okay, give me another one. 14,000, who cares, right? You bring another, 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 another steak, it's not going to taste anymore. Eventually, you're not, you can't eat it anymore. What happened? Pleasure, in order for pleasure to be good, it has to constantly grow. In the human world, in the physical world, it's not possible to get that pleasure. In the next world, it's possible to get that pleasure. It is possible that what, what's ultimate pleasure? That you're taking a bite out of something, and it's good. You're taking the next bite, it's even better. You're taking the next bite, it's even better. And you're just eating, you know, as a obesity, you know, you know, not anonymous. You know, the opposite of obesity anonymous. You just take another bite, oh, it's good. Another bite, oh, it's even better. You're like, you're sitting over there, and you just constantly, constantly gets better. The, uh, you, you know what, what the next world is? You know what Olam Haba is? You know what the, the, you know, the reward that you get over there? It says the, it says the Mishnah Pekeavot. The next world, you take the smallest pleasure possible, it's greater than all the pleasure of this world. And we spoke about this before, so I don't want to get into, into this, you know, this concept too much. But that means, what does that mean? That means that you take, imagine you take all the pleasure you ever had in your life. And then you take all the pleasure that everybody that is alive today, the seven plus billion people out today, all the pleasures, take everything back, take all the pleasures, and you take that into an injection. Yeah, you imagine how much that injection is going to be worth. Now, not only that, you take everybody that was from the beginning of the creation to, to this present day, all the pleasures, only the good stuff. You take only the good stuff, and you want that pleasure. Imagine you can inject yourself with that ultimate pleasure. You'll explode. You literally will like explode with explode with pleasure. Like you won't even be able to know what to do with yourself. That in itself is not even close to the lowest pleasure in the next world. That is not even close. Do you understand what I just said? Like the great. That's why when we say like when you do a good deed, you cannot be rewarded in this world because it doesn't it doesn't fit. Like even the smallest reward. You know, imagine the idea. You're walking past by a bakery and you smell it and it's good, right? You smell it smells good. How, how good is that? I'm like, yeah, yeah, it's good. That's what you're dealing with. All the greatest pleasures in this world, put it together into one. From all the beginning of time to the present day, from everybody, that's like walking next to Gan Eden and just smelling it. That's what the pleasure is. Do you even understand what that concept is? Which means is that when we're, we're looking at our purpose, we're not created for this world. We realize, if you realize, the ultimate goal is not this world. To make money, 99% of the people do not have money. To health, most people are not healthy. You know, happiness, most people are not happy. You look at everything, like what, it's a failure. Why are we here? What is the purpose of everything? And the answer is, the purpose is not for here, the purpose is for the next world. 
The purpose is, is for the next world. So then, you know, you could ask, you could ask this very important question. Why doesn't God do something very simple? Give us this world and the next world. Give us a small test and we'll pass it and we'll have it and it'll be amazing and then we'll have the next world. Do you understand that question? I'm going a little bit fast. So I don't know if you're following with me. But the question is like this. We were put in this world so we sort of supposed to pass that. There's a lot of psukim that I could give but because it's late we're going to skip it. You know, God said that he's going to test you why that he could give you benefit at the end. We're not going to get into you know, all that because of the hour. But the idea is God tests you why so he could give you reward at the end. But like, why? Why just give me a fake little test? Pretend that it's hard. You know, and then we'll get reward in this world and the next world. You know, I've had this question asked, you know, asked. And I, I would answer, like, yeah, that's what happens. You do get that small little test. And you do, you, people don't realize it. You realize in this, you know, when you look back, you had hard tests in your life. But ultimately, the majority of the tests were like, come on, you, you kind of got it. Like, you were able to, like, you know, do it. God doesn't test you if you can't pass it. Otherwise, not a test. You can't test a second-year-old in advanced algebra. Doesn't even know how to spell algebra. Second-year-old? Second-grader, thank you. Second-grader. You can't, you know, and a second-year-old. You know, many husbands are second-year-olds. Um, but, you know, even, even, you know, whatever it is, you can't give someone a test that they can't pass. If you know that you could take 30 pounds and you could lift them up, and you know it because you just lifted it up, and then someone says, you know what, I'm going to test you. Can you lift five pounds? You're like, yeah, of course I can lift five. I just lift 30 pounds. Of course I can lift five. And you, and you lift it up. Is that a test? No, it's not a test. You know that you're going to pass it. What about 25 pounds? Also, not a, not a test. You know you can lift 30 pounds. What about 29 pounds? Is that a test? But like, I don't know if you can lift this. Can you lift this? Be like, yeah, I could. I just lift 30 pounds. So th- 29 pounds, even 30 pounds, that's not a test. 31 pounds, now that's a test. Now, now that is a test. God doesn't give you a 31-pound test. He gives you a 29-pound test. He gives you only the test that you're able to pass. So which means is God gives you the ability to get the ultimate reward, the greatest pleasure, with the minimal amount of effort. Really it is. I mean, it looks for us that we're doing a lot. And we really are doing a lot in our own mind. But have you ever looked in hindsight in 2020 and be like, you know, come on. You know, like, you know, I remember when I was in second grade. I I don't know why I remember this. It's like one of my only memories in second grade is that we had to go and learn about coins. So we, it was arts and crafts, well, everything's arts and crafts in second grade, right? So we, we built, made like this, I don't know why, but we made a purse. Right? It was yeshiva, you know, I was the only man, only boys in there. We made like this purse, and then we, we, we made like pennies and quarters and nickels and dimes, and we had to put, you know, 57 cents in the purse. And we had to figure out which one it is inside of it. You know, which one, was that a test? Yeah, back then for me it was a test. You know, I didn't know what, a, you know, I was still, you know, working on a penny and a dime and a nickel. You know, I, I, I've gone to my, you know, to my small children. I'm like, what do you want? I show them a quarter or I show them a hundred dollar bill. They'll take the quarter sometimes. If they're very little, like this is shiny, I can do more with this. And, you know, just, what do they know about a hundred dollar bill? They don't know. You have to learn about it. Once you learn about it, then, then it's become, it's not a test for them. They're like, oh, this kid is not so smart. He took a quarter. It doesn't know the difference. This one's shiny. It's hard. He could spin it. He could throw it at his brother. It makes more. You know, makes more sense. What can you do with a hundred dollar bill? No. Moshe Rabbeinu also. That's a perfect example. Yeah. The idea is that we we only get tested by things that we are able to pass. So when you look back and you look back at that test that you had, you know, putting fifty seven cents in a purse, be like, that's a joke. That's easy. Of course, I'll be able to do it. That's how we'll look back in this world in the next world. We'll look at it. Uh, we don't have time to also explain this idea, but it says that when a tzaddik looks at it, it's the satan, it's going to look like a small mountain. Because it'll be like, that's, you know, I mean, it's going to look like a big mountain, and vice versa. The idea is that when you do something, you know that you're able to do it. You know that it's, okay, it's hard, it's true, it's difficult, it's true. But you have the ability to do it. Otherwise, God wouldn't give you, wouldn't give you, uh, you know, that test. 
Now, when when we go through this, you know, to this concept that one of the main purposes of us being over here is to pass our test, is to do things that we need to do. The purpose over here to watch another movie is the purpose over here in this world so that I could, you know, I don't know, buy another dress. Is that really is my purpose over here that I could buy a fast car? Is my purpose over here to make a million dollars? What is the bottom line? Be honest to yourself for a second. You want to be inspired? You want to know how to inspire yourself? Realize what you're doing over here. Educate yourself. What am I hearing this for? Really, really think about that. If you think about that, I can't emphasize this enough. By the way, you got this out of the whole class today. It was worth it that you come. If you stop for a second and you think, what am I doing with my life? Just think about it. You'll figure it out. You think about it. It'll be, it's very simple if you think about it for more than two seconds. It is. You have to think about it. Because if you think about it, you come in over here and you'll be like, okay, what is the purpose over here? Maybe, you know, God gave me a purpose. The test. The, these are the purposes. The Torah, the Mitzvah, the commandments. This is what I need to do. Then all of a sudden, it doesn't become a burden to do something. You're inspired to do it. You want to do it. Of course, this is what I'm here for. This is what, this is what the ultimate purpose of everything is. Now, I, I shot out a lot of things. At you. This was a... I don't know if you guys were... There was a lot of different angles that were going on today. And... Um, I didn't intend this to be a deep class, but I realize now that I'm actually saying it out loud, there's a lot of different angles that you could go about doing it. But the bottom line is, I want to finish off with this concept. What are the most important concepts? And this was, you know who taught this to me? My wife. My wife taught me this concept. And this is a brilliant, a brilliant concept that this is something that's, this is also worth it for you to come today. This is kind of, I have, I have people, and I use this when people come to and ask me, you know, for advice or whatever it is. I use this very, very often. I'm about to share with you this, this idea. The people tend to make big decisions in their life. Every, you know, and the truth is, many decisions are big decisions. And when people make these decisions, they tend to, uh, you know, think, what should I do in these decisions? And, you know, should I do this or should I do that? And uh, genius, genius answer. I, got, I give my wife this, you know, she's a genius for, you know, she's just a genius, right? <laughs> Listen to this concept. You have a difficult test that's coming up that what you need to do. And the question is, you want to know what you want to do? What's the right thing to do? What is the correct move to make? Move fast forward five years down the line. And then look back. And then say, what would you be happier with which decision you made? You have option A or option B. You don't know what to choose right now. Fast forward five years and then look back and then see what's the the correct decision. And I've used this in multiple... And now let me explain that concept. I was uh, teaching uh, a bunch of guys that um, are not... So fond with the law. Well, I don't know how to explain this. Right? Um, and I, you know, these, some of these guys, they went to Israel, they went off, whatever it is, you know, whatever the background was. And I asked them a question like this. I said, uh, you know, you, they went to Israel, um, put aside your dealers and you know, everybody else that you had to deal with over there. Um, let's say you're able to change the past. And I give you two options. And you can think about this as yourself. Option A, you had the sickest party year of your life. I'm not talking about your cat. I'm talking about yachts. I'm talking about the biggest, the best drugs, the best alcohol, the best, any pleasure that you could possibly think of for one year, that was your trip in Israel. You could do that. And you could change all the past to make it like that. That's option A. Behind door number B, whatever two, is that you could change your past that you are learning 16 hours a day learning to laugh. 16 hours a day, you didn't party. You learned for 16 hours a day for the entire year. This is already, this is, you're talking about five, six years there in the mid-twenties. I'm saying five, six years ago. What would you choose? A lot of these people are not, do not keep Shabbat. I asked them, what would you choose to switch? Would you go and switch that it should be the greatest party of your life or it should be the greatest you know, amount of learning that you did? Right now, your life is exactly the same. 
You know what 99% of them said? The learning. He said, yeah, I'll do the learning. I said, oh, interesting. You know, you know, very, very, very interesting. I said, let me ask you another question, and this is hypothetical. A multi-billionaire is sitting on his bed. <laughs> Thank you. He's sitting on his bed, right? Let's just, let's just move on with it, right? It's a new thing. So yeah, it's a bed. It's for multi-billionaires sit on their bed. Regular people sit on their deathbed. Okay, um, but this multi-billionaire, he has very expensive bed, and um, he is he is going, and he has an option. I, I do. I, I'm teaching this to people. I, these are words that, you know. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, so, multi-billionaire, sitting on his deathbed. And he's going and, he, and, and you go and you ask him this, this scenario. Let's say you could change your entire life. Let's say you could be the greatest rabbi in the entire world, but you'll have not a penny to your name. You could change everything. You could change your entire life that you could be the greatest rabbi in the world or you could be, you know, what do you think he's going to choose? She's okay, I'm like, yeah, okay, fine, I'm already dying, you know, like, what's the greatest rabbi in the world? I'm like... Yes, very, very true. You ask somebody who is, somebody who, who's religious, I'm not talking about somebody who doesn't care about religion, doesn't care about God. Somebody who cares about religion knows that in the next world, any smart businessman knows an opportunity when he sees one. If you have a smart businessman, that, who do you think is going higher in the next world? A multi-billionaire gave billions of dollars to charity or Chachamavadi Yosef? Anybody in there, nobody would, even the greatest multi-billionaire would not say that they would be going to the highest place. And um, I've asked people that made, I've asked people this. You're saying it's not true, but I've asked people that had a ton of money and I asked them about the past. And this is what they told me. I'm not, it's not something that I'm saying hypothetical. This is something that's actually, actually that I actually tested. And um, not on the deathbed. So I'm not that, you know, <laughs> I'm sensitive. I'm not that sensitive. Well, they said they'd rather have Yeah. Rather have done the right thing. Now, because they've they got all that knowledge. Place. I'm not telling you, I'm telling you what I asked him. There was one guy, I said 99%, there was one guy who says, I'd rather the party time. i rather, I rather the party. So I said 99%. What kind of guys are you asking? Oh yeah, I'm asking, yeah, yeah right. That's a good question. <laughs> Whatever you're thinking, yeah, those type of guys. But the guys that are into, they're not religious, they enjoy the party life, they enjoy these things. But that, well, they were opposite. They said something that's very real. They said that they rather learned for the 16 hours a day. Let me ask you a question like but this. They end up the same way. They never gain anything. Yeah, that's true. So Not now. In the next world, they will. Let me ask you like this. Your scenario. Question for you, right? Imagine that you would be able. You live the same exact way that you have right now. Knowledge is obviously different, but you're living your life the same exact way. Uh, you've been to college. Okay, imagine your college, you know, life, you, um, instead of studying, and you know, college is heavy, you're starting five, seven hours, imagine you started 17 hours a day, you didn't just do your elective classes and your, your, your core classes, you took a bunch of other classes, you did not have a life for four years, you were studying your brains out, you live exactly, same job, same everything, only difference is knowledge. What would you do, that's, let's say, five years ago, would you have say, okay, listen, I would, kind of would have rather have all that knowledge, even though I'm living the same life, or... Would I rather just stay the way that I am and have, you know, my basic core and my regular curriculum that I need to have? Life is exactly the same. No, but I'm saying it doesn't change. Because if it, if I start changing, maybe you could change it. But right now, the way that you are is you have exactly the same. You have more knowledge, you could change it. You have more potential, whatever it is. Your life right now is the same. 
You understand the question? You following me the question? So the question is, is like, you have the ability to change your past. Except for your knowledge. Yeah. So for you, it doesn't bother. It doesn't matter that you could, you know, remember all the psychology books. Difference is knowledge. No more. Yeah. It's like if you get a job that you don't need college for, but you went to college. Yeah, you could use that example also. But I like this knowledge; is, is a lot better. Most people say, I'll, I'll, "I'll take the." Well, I don't. I can't. I don't lose out. Like I rather have the have the knowledge. Lose out a little bit on the college experience. Some people that's. That's true. Yeah, yeah. That's true. That's the deal breaker. Some people say, "No, I rather have the party, or I rather do that." And I ask this to guys that are obsessed with partying. I ask this to guys that before they come to my class. You ask them about the Torah or the college? Torah. Torah. I asked them about the Torah. I asked them okay. about the Torah. You don't believe it. Coming to your class, so obviously they respect Torah. To a certain extent. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I know plenty of guys. They expect Torah. Huh? They're coming to your class. Yeah. They're going to come to your class. They don't. They, 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 they do. Yeah, I don't, you know, you're right. They do. They do. They do. Uh, uh, you're dead, but you regret a lot of things and say things that you wouldn't. Exactly. Move to exactly. I'm just telling you, based on my own experience and my own experiments, these are the results that I've got. And I've asked them this to more than one. If you don't agree, then you're then I have to move it to 98%. Um, <laughs> but if you think about it for a second, then move it. <laughs> <laughs> let's say, for example, somebody um, uh, is is a multi-billionaire. Let's go back to that that example. Because this, I can guarantee, if someone appreciates and understands the value of Torah. I don't know any person, any a businessman. Is, I, I said specifically a businessman because a businessman knows an opportunity when he sees one. If they have an option to put change everything and become a biggest rabbi in the world, and they know what the, the value of Torah is, there's not a businessman that I know that has that quality that would not that would not uh, that would not take that bet. That would not take that change. You're talking about somebody now. Again, it's chamavide yourself. You're talking about it like, here. It's like me giving the example a millionaire. A guy that didn't do anything and he ended up being a millionaire, or a guy that did the dirtiest jobs to become it. What's the difference? He did nothing before, but he ended up in the same place. Right. I would rather do nothing and end up being a millionaire than. Right, but I, that's a little bit different than what I'm saying. What I'm saying is you have an option. You end up in the same place. True, you end up in the same place, but you have a different past. You have a different knowledge base, which means is what does it mean that you have in the same place? You're making the same amount of oh, it's a big difference. Knowledge is a huge difference. Yeah, definitely. But knowledge is a big difference, and in the next world, it's going to make a big difference as well. The difference is the past. Really, what the difference is the past. Do you re, would you prefer to change the past? Some pe- many people would prefer to change the past. It says oh, if I was smart when I was younger, I would take more studies more seriously. Did this then that? Yeah, you're right. But yeah, it's always like that. It's a hypothetical question. I'm asking a hypothetical question. Yeah, right. Most people, most people, 98%. We have to move it down. 98% of people have to go and say that. And I. Five years. I wish I would have been doing this. So then, okay, 99%. So you agree with me? So you agree with me? It's a hypothetical question. I'm not saying this is what changed. It's a hypothetical question. So you do agree with me? You do agree with the fact that if you were to change your path, you would change your path. You would change it to a different manner. You would change it. You would have studied more. You would have preferred, even though that your life would have stayed exactly the same, it would still be more benefit. It makes no difference to you had you partied or had you, you know, studied right then, now and then. But of course, you would prefer to be the better person, the better student, the better you know, Jew. But you're not better. You're, you haven't changed anything. That's... True, that your life itself didn't change, but your past did change. You're saying the past doesn't make you who you are? It 
Okay, so you're the person that's very, very stubborn and don't want to change from that. But you still had the knowledge. You still had the base that you had from it. Push comes to shove, I feel like I would be able to convince you. But let's let's move on and then I'll try it. If you want, I can convince you afterwards. Because logically, you don't lose out anything from it. Let's go back to the multi-billionaire. Multi-billionaire, you go, the biggest rabbi in the world. Would you change places? You lose all your money, but you have all... The, the, on the deathbed, so it doesn't make a difference at this point, right? It doesn't it makes a difference and after, and you know, in the next world. But right now, you're sitting on the deathbed. You have either the background you could have of the biggest rabbi or the biggest multi-billionaire. And you know what? Let's throw in a curveball. Your kids are going to be affected by it because at one point your kids are not going to have money, and at one point your kids are going to have a lot of money. So this this makes it a little bit more difficult to do it. I still feel that a lot of people, not all of them, because this is going to be a lot more difficult for more people. They will choose. I'll rather be the biggest rabbi in the world than be the most wealthiest man in the world. I'm going anyways to the next world. Going anyways there. Like, what's the difference? Like, in hindsight, hindsight's always 20-20. I'd rather do this than do that. Now, let's say you switch it up a little bit. Not the biggest rabbi in the world. Regular rabbi. You're a regular. You're a multi-billionaire. You have a business. You're a good Jew. You did what you need to do. Didn't learn much, but you gave a lot of donations. Or you could be a rabbi, not the biggest rabbi in the world, someone who did a lot of good and constantly, you know, learned to law all day. Ask that scenario to the to multi-billionaire. What would you prefer to go back and change? Would you prefer to have your life? Or would you prefer to have the life of somebody that went something like that? Now again, a little bit more difficult. I still feel more than 50% will answer, you know, will answer to the latter. To have, to have the idea of having the, the fact that doing the, the, you know, the spiritual, the becoming more spiritual. Now let's take this a step further in a different angle. I have people ask me, like, okay, let's say I, I want to go into law school. Should I go into law school? Should I become a lawyer? So I say, why not? So it's very difficult. Law school is very hard. For three years, you're not, you're not sleeping, you're not eating, you're constantly doing this. So, you know what I tell them? I said, ten years down the line, you're looking back. Would you prefer to become a lawyer, to be a lawyer, or would you prefer not to be a lawyer? I'd be like, oh, listen, ten years down the line, I'm already a lawyer. I finished law school. Of course I would prefer to have, be a lawyer. Then I tell them, go to law school. But if they tell me something, you know, ten years down the line, okay, now I'm a lawyer, but now I have to work 18 hours a day. I don't see my family, I don't see that. I tell them, don't go, become, don't, don't go into law school. Because there's a very, and I'll get you in a second, there's a very, very important concept that if you want to make the right decisions in your life, fast forward 5, 10 years, 15 years if you need to, then look back and say, what would be the right choice to make? Would it be the right choice to go to medical school? Do I want to become that? Forget about the part that's going to be hard for the next 5, 10 years. Forget about the part that I might not have a life for the next 3 years. After that, would I prefer, looking back, what is the right decision to make? And this is how the decisions that you, this is a brilliant concept. This is a decision that you should make your entire life. You could also think about this in dating also. Somebody is dating. Unfortunately, many people, when they date, sometimes they date for so long that they're like, okay, fine, I just have to get married already. Because, like, we're dated for so long, like, we're just going to get married. Even though deep down, you know, like, kind of not going to be, not the right person for me. But, like, you're so already been so invested in this that, okay, fine, that's it. It's done. It's over with. I have to, I have, you know, I have to, do, you know, I have to, I have to just date. There's, there's nothing else that I could do. So, the concept is, fast forward 10, 5, 10 years down the line. Look back. Is that the right decision that you made? Maybe you should have made something else. If the answer is no, don't make that decision now. If the answer is yes, then make that decision right now. This is a very, very important thing. So speak to people that they're constantly involved in business. They don't see their family. And you ask them, listen, if you could backtrack it, would you spend more time with your family? Of course they'll say yes. Would you spend more time learning to how doing good deeds? Of course they'll say yes. So then why wait till the future to have it in hindsight? The idea is, is that you, every decision in your life... Think about where you are right now, fast forward 10 years, and then think about what's the right decision that you're going to make. You want to know what's inspiration? You want to know what's really going to change yourself? It's you. But how are you going to change yourself? You want to lose 50 pounds. In, you know, after all that hard work of starving, 
you know, crying, whatever it is that the you know, dietary thing is, exercising, waking up early, would you be happy that you did that? And the answer is yes, then guess what? Do it. If the answer is like, eh, whatever, couldn't care less. Okay, then don't do it. If it's healthy, then do it. But whatever, you know, obviously different things. You know, if you want to go and you want to become a doctor, and you're like, okay, but it's very difficult, but in 10, 15 years, is that what you really want to be like? Then do it now. Don't wait for the inspiration. Don't wait for, just do it. Because this is what you know the right decision is to be. People wait for inspiration to come from them, you know, from the outside source. Inspiration doesn't come from outside. It comes from within. It, Right. What's happen. People are very scared of the journey. And this, by the way, is so true with religion. So I did it. <laughs> Congratulations. I did something else. <laughs> that, by the way, you should know that this, that is with anything. All, in religion also, you have people, let's say they don't become religious from not religious, it's very hard. But you ask them, you know, they look at religious people and, you know, true religious people, you see that they're happy people, content people, you know, they're, they're kind people. Be like, yeah, I would like to be that way. You know, that we started off with, I want to want it. Like, stop wanting to want it. Just do it. You're the one that's... Stop looking in the future of somebody going to inspire you. You're the one who's going to change your life. You want to be... Like, 15 years down the line, do you want to be religious? Yeah. I, I ask these people all the time. You know, like, I ask my students, do you want to be religious, you know, 15 years down the line, 10 years down the line? Be like, yeah, of course. I'm going to send my kids to yeshiva. So I'm like, what are you waiting for? They're like, no, not right now. I can't. I'm like, you know, looking back, you want it to be done. Don't then do it now. You have to be very. It's a very, very. It's it's a genius of a guy. You ever have a question of a big decision in your life? Use this. It's a genius of a thing. And this, by the way, doesn't work 100 percent of the time because there's different, you know, different scenarios require different, you know, different considerations. But majority of the time, when people come to me with these types of decisions, you plug this in. The easiest solution to you. It, it, you just answer it. You so know. Was it a stupid decision I didn't do it. I thought you said you did do it. No, are you happy with your decision? I mean, I still want to play that instrument, but I know that it, it was, so it was a cello, but I knew that that's going to take at least six years until it sounds good. <coughs> but, but then I might stop in between. That doesn't mean you made the wrong decision. That doesn't mean that you make the wrong decision, because sometimes you could say, listen, six years down the line, maybe I'll be married, maybe I'll have kids, maybe I'll be working, maybe I won't be able to do it, but this will be a right decision Sometimes when you go back, hypothetically, yeah, I want to be a doctor, lawyer, engineer, and the president of the United States. So you can't right. do it all. You have, that's why it has to be done so then, smart. So then when you think about it in six years, oh, I'm going to play this and this and that, but really the journey to it, you put a lot of money into it and then right. stop. The, the journey is part of the, it should be part of the equation. It right. should be, there's an expense to every decision that you make. Not, so you not financially. On, you can't really think, oh, in six years, what is it? You have to calculate the, the the journey as well, but sometimes you have to. Say, some people only don't want the journey because they just want the outcome. But the journey in itself is something that is goal. For example, let me give you an example. Someone wants to go to medical school. Medical school before you become a doctor, you it takes you. You know, I don't know. Depending, especially if you want to specialize, you could be in school for over ten years. Now, somebody nobody wants you know that amount of schooling, but they want to become that doctor. But if they know that they have all that work that needs to be done, then it depends. Is it worth it to spend money? Time away from family over that. That's part of the decision that you're looking in hindsight. That's your hindsight. Was it worth it for me to lose all that? That's why I said, like, if someone wants to go to law school, I'd be like, okay, you, would you like to be a lawyer? If they're saying no, but I wasted so much time, I wasn't with my family, I didn't do that, don't become a lawyer. If, you, if it is, then do become a lawyer. You understand the, the concept? Obviously, you have to take a lot of things into the equation. Any other questions? Yeah. How do you change your want to become the needs that you 
Very good question. So how do you change your wants to, to your needs? Number one, make it important to you. If you make it important, it'll, it'll, it will happen. Learn about it. Learn the reason of why you want it. The more that you study about it, the more important it is. That's why, not always, but dietitians usually are careful with their diet because they know what it affects that it has on their body. You know, I'm not saying that every you know, doctor is healthy because you always have you know, those people that tell people don't smoke, they go out and they smoke with doctors. Um, but the point is, is that the more knowledge that you have in it, the more that you will be able to go and inspire yourself. And the most important thing that you want to change it from a want, from a need to a want, from a want to a need, is start doing it. Because you want to be a better spouse, you want to be a better child, just become a better child. Eventually, that will turn into a into a need and not into a want. It, the action comes first. People wait for the inspiration to come first. That's a very big mistake. First the action, then the inspiration comes. The question is, really want it. Yeah. You have to make want it, want it. But yeah, you're gonna only one who's gonna make you want it. Nobody else is gonna make you want it. I've met many people. Personality trait is harder than anything else, by the way. Yeah. You should know a personality trait is harder to change a personality than to become religious, from not religious to religious. Personality is like very difficult. Angry person. Really, really work yes. Uh, yes. Doing what? That's so that studying about it, making it important to you, putting, putting effort into it, but by doing it. Not waiting to be like, okay, let me listen to a really great speech about anger management. Let me go to anger management, whatever, and then I'll change it. No. The way that you change it is first you change it, and then the inspiration comes as you change it. So you study upon it. Like, you study for the purpose of life. You study, you learn upon it. You make it, the, uh, the bottom line is, is that you make it important. If you make it important, that's going to happen. If you don't think that your anger is a problem, then you're never going to change it. You have to make it important. You make your own inspiration. However that is, everybody's something else. For somebody, it's going to be one thing. For another, for another person, it's going to be something else. You have to build your own inspiration. But if you really want something, you can make it happen. Especially, it's funny because for changing yourself, it's the most difficult thing. But at the other point in time, it's very—it's one of the easiest things because it's you dealing with you. You don't have to. It's not based off somebody else. You want to make money. Let's say, for example, so you, ha- you need other people to help you make the money. You need, you know, your business and conscious things like that. Changing yourself—it's just you dealing with you. But at the same point in time, the reason why it's so hard is that. You know how to lie to yourself really well. And you're the biggest, you know, this detractor from yourself is you. The biggest person that stops you from going is yourself. So, at one hand, it's the best thing and the easiest thing. At the other hand, it's the most difficult thing. And depending on the angle that you go to. I'm not saying it's easy. I'm saying it right now, like, oh yeah, just do this, just do it. Obviously, it's very difficult, but you have to realize the angle that you need to go to. I've had many people that, okay, when I get inspired, you know, I'll do it. The whole idea of I want to want, you're waiting for inspiration. Stop waiting for inspiration. You are your own inspiration. When you wait for something else, you're gonna. You're... Does it make sense? You don't have to like the whole want to want. Does it make sense to say that you just don't want it now? Yeah. That's why you want to want it, though. Yeah, but you realize you don't want it now because it it's now. not worth it for you. You can make it yourself want it now if you make it worth it for you. You don't want it now because ah, it's not worth it that much for me, or it's not as important. You can make it important, and you could change it from a want to want to a need. You could change anything. Your whole life perspective. You, could, the, you don't want to. Some people say, I don't, I want to want because they know that they really should do it, but they kind of don't want it. But they really know deep down what's the right thing to do. So if you really want to do the right thing, again, you can't force somebody to do the right thing. You can't. You don't want to do it. Bottom line, you're not going to do it. You know, you don't want to, you don't want to keep Shabbat? You're not going to keep Shabbat. You're not, you don't, you don't, you know, you don't want to eat kosher? You're not going to eat kosher. You don't want to do certain things? It's not going to happen. You could go to a thousand speeches. You might start it, you might stop it. The bottom line is, you change yourself. 
granted, all the speeches are great and the books are great. They help you guide you to the right place. But at the end of the day, you have two people that come out of a speech. One is going to change your life. Another one's not going to change a single thing. If you take one thing out of, the, out of this class is that you go out and you think about what do I really want in life? What, what do I really want for my life? Like 10 years down the line, what am I, what are, you know, what, what's really, why am I here for? What's the purpose of this everything? You know, like, what's going on with me? Get deep down to who you are. Like, become your own therapist. You know, sit on one side of the couch and be like, so tell me how you feel. And then go outside of the couch and be like, so how does that make you feel? You know? And be like, well, it makes me feel very angry. You know, like, become your own therapist. You know, of course, it all, everything is easier said than done. Yeah. Like when people ask me, oh, like when, like when they want to set me up with someone, what do you want? And I'm like, I don't know because I went out with people and there are things I didn't look for and then I'm right. like, oh. So sometimes it's not always what you want. You don't now. know what you want, right? No, you know what you want, but there could be better. That's that's very very dangerous. That's true. What you're saying is very true, especially in the dating world. But this is gets so dangerous. Not better, I guess. Yeah, I hear what you're saying, but I, I, I know what you're saying because first of all, let me, you're saying two different things. One thing is very true is that the more that you date, the more you realize of what you're actually looking for. Yeah. Things that you thought weren't important all of a sudden became important because you're a woman and you think as a woman, but then all of a sudden you see a different angle like a man, you're like, wait a minute, I didn't realize I need this in a man. Like now you're learning about yourself of what you need. That's very true and very important. That's good that you're grasping on that and, it's, and you should continue grasping on what, on what you need. But at the, at, at the, at the flip side, that's very good and that's awesome. The flip side, which is very bad, is the thought process that, but I could get better. I could get better, could be good and could be bad. Many people stay single for a very long time because, well, you know, I could get better. You know, like, you know, so then you're, all, you're constantly waiting for the better, 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 and not always does it come. And for some people, yes, some people no, but the mentality, there's always something better out there, is a very, very bad concept. I'm not saying you should, what is that called when you just, uh, Give up and you just take whatever it comes. Settle. You don't, yeah, thank you. You should not settle, but at the same point in time, you should be realistic. What is it, you know, like, are you looking for something unrealistic? Are you looking for someone that's... Right, so I'm saying, but that's... When people go and they say the words, but I could get better, usually that tends to be someone on the GQ magazine, something that some... But the guy that was a millionaire, for him to be a rabbi is not really realistic. Not necessarily. It wasn't, it wasn't a priority to him before. Why would it be... It's it's hindsight. What my point is is hindsight. Would you change your life? And if you would change your life in hindsight, then don't wait for it to be hindsight. Not the world yourself. <laughs> in, hindsight. in hindsight. So now, ten years down the line, you want to be a certain way. Don't wait for ten years down the line to be like, oh, I should have done this. Start it now, so that ten years down the line, you are that person. You understand what I'm saying? Yes, right? you set the goal. If you want to be that, ten yes, years, so start today. There could be other things along the lines. Hundred percent. So. Yeah, hundred percent. You don't know everything. You're not going to gain there, but as long as you're going in the right direction. But if you're still the same person and nothing changed, does knowledge really matter? It's like knowing smoking. The reason why I said nothing changes is because once I introduce the variable of something changes, then everybody's going to pick the one that makes them a better person. But I don't. It's true. It does change. It okay, does. No, but you can I give an example? So I took a, I took a phlebotomy and ECG course, and I started working for the doctor. He's an anesthetics doctor. He tells me, oh, I could, and he also does a medical assistant program, but he tells me, he's like, you don't need it. I'll give you the, the certificate on your own, because I know you can do it. You don't need to go to school. Don't waste that money. Mm-hmm. 
obviously I would rather take what he's giving me because I don't need it's to spend easier. my time. Right, right. Yeah. It's true. And I would so, get to the same place, get to the same job. What do I what do I need to go to school, waste my time? Well, I could be getting a job and making the same money. That's true. First of all, so, as a medical assistant. I got to the same place and that's it. That's true. What you're saying is very true and I agree with you in that what particular scenario. Like, why would I waste time trying to do a diet if I could go get liposurgery from him for free and whatever? Well, because if you know anything about liposurgery, first of all, it, the, one of the things I'm is... I'm saying the, the I know. easy way. The easy way so doesn't... The, you're struggling to the same results. Not necessarily. So you're in the same results right then and there. First of all, if someone loses weight naturally versus liposuction, the weight gets redistributed after liposuction and then they have to, and, and they have to, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't necessarily take it out, out forever. The weight goes somewhere. If you lose it naturally versus liposuction, there's a very, very big, big difference in how it stays off. Um, as if, um, I don't know if your anesthesiologist that you work with actually deals with, with, you know, liposuction, you don't have to go on this. So those ask him, what's better, you know, when the patient's out, not listening, what's it more healthier? Where do you stay more, losing more weight? The weight-wise, not healthier-wise. Like, where is the late weight if you lose it you're by yourself or you take a liposuction? Ask him what happens to the body after oh, they do a liposuction. Yeah. No, where the weight stays off more. There's an easy way out and there's a hard way out. That's true. Well, for your, doesn't really work. So. For your example, let's say medical assistant. A phlebotomist, you have more knowledge than a medical assistant. Put it that way. Medical yeah, assistants do medical assistants do a little bit more. You vital signs, pulling blood. You'll have much more of that. You don't need that. I agree with that because you already have that knowledge. You're not gaining. What knowledge are you going to be gaining from the? I don't know about I'm medical. Pretty sure, if I didn't do that and I met him off the street, he'd probably still give me the phlebotomy. I don't know. I, I'm not familiar with those two different you know certificates and what it does. But off the cuff, I would say phlebotomists would have a lot more knowledge than that. So it's like saying, you know, you're a doctor. So then, for sure, you can be a nurse. Yeah. yeah, for your doctor, for sure, you can be a physician assistant. Yeah, of course. Like, you, why you don't need to be a physician assistant? You know, like, it's like you're going backwards. Of that course. Seems to be not true, but um, what uh, the idea is? It sounds like you use exactly what he said. You looked in retrospect and you were like, schooling isn't going to do anything for me in ten years, so I don't need to do it. I can just get this certificate. If schooling is not going to gain you anything, that's true. But you're saying there's going to be a different in knowledge. I don't even think you'll gain a lot of knowledge from that. Because what knowledge that you're missing? I don't know. I, I I'm not familiar with the, the the curriculum that they teach in phlebotomy school versus the curriculum that they teach in medical. I'm just saying. I'm I'm not saying. The, I understand the concept, knowledge. but I feel the concept is a little bit different. Because what I'm saying is, the is that. Knowledge. Would I rather? Imagine like this. Waste my time with the knowledge, or just go. The imagine this scenario. You're a phlebotomist, right? Imagine you have all. You're still a phlebotomist, and you're going to stay a phlebotomist. Let's just say hypothetically, but you have the knowledge of a medical doctor. You went through medical school, but you still met the lobotomist. Would it be worth it for you to have in your previous, you know, years that you actually, I don't know, you if come I from Uganda. If I had that knowledge, I wouldn't be a phlebotomist. Hypothetical. We're talking about hypothetical. Because you're, you, you got your degree in, in Zimbabwe, right? And it didn't, whatever. You know, they have all these things, then you know. I should be in Zimbabwe. Hypothetical. Yeah, hypothetical. I'm telling you the situation. The situation is like this. You have an option that you have the medical knowledge as a medical doctor. And you're a phlebotomist, or you have no medical knowledge, not a doctor, and you're a phlebotomist. Would you rather have the knowledge or not have the knowledge? I would have the knowledge, but do something with the knowledge. Okay, okay, that's fine. And zero, you know, prerogative. Congratulations. Go and do something with it. But you would see the difference that you would choose to have no, but something. If I don't do anything with it, then what's the point? So do something with it. I didn't say that you can't do anything with it. I said right now you didn't do anything with it. You want to do something with it? Enjoy. It's your life. Do whatever you want. 
I'm saying that right now it's not going to change your life. Can you change your life? You can do whatever you want. It's your life. Hypothetically, I'm the previous. Future, it's up to you. We're not arguing on anything. You're agreeing with what I'm saying, but you don't like it so much. Doesn't mean that you don't agree with it. The, the concept still stays. If you could change your past, change it to make it a little bit better, even though it's not changing who you are right now, you'll still change it. Meaning that hindsight is 2020. Don't wait for hindsight. Change it right now. Concept makes sense? <laughs> I'll take it, it's late. <laughs> Any other questions? No? Uh, yeah. I have. So. <laughs> okay. Um, How long is this class? Is, well, I guess about the dip. Because we have. The class has different strategies for, for inspiration. Right? right. But like, you can't be in a constant state of that. Like, or maybe you can be. You can't. No, no, you can't be in content inspiration. Otherwise, you're probably on drugs. Um, <laughs> you're right. You can't be constantly in spot. You can't be constantly. The inspiration is sort of a, a light to show you the path. How you get there. You, the way that inspiration works is that you're inspired. You see where you need to reach to. You get to that goal. Then you're inspired again. You see the next goal. It's sort of like it's, it's a path until the next inspiration. And then it's a path until the next inspiration. Yeah, exactly. I'd be like, okay. Right. You have, but the inspiration, you don't wait for like, when am I going to get inspired? Like, when is somebody going to come and just inspire me? No. Right? You got to inspire yourself. It's hard. It's not, I'm not saying it's easy. Sometimes inspiring is listening to inspiring lectures, and that's, you, but you have to come from within. That's the idea, something very fascinating, and I have this all the time. I've had people that come out of classes, same classes, two people, one person changing his life. Starting to keep, I had a guy that told, after one session, I sat down with him, it was a group of people, he talk, came out to me and says, from now on I'm keeping Shabbat, and he kept Shabbat. I had four other guys that were sitting in the class, all sitting to keep Shabbat, didn't change anything. They heard the same thing. They did the same thing. Why? Because this person wanted to be inspired. Until today, he's, he's keeping Shabbat. He says, it's unbelievable. What, there's some people that can be inspired because they're looking for it. Some people are not interested. They're not interested. You have people that, Jim is the best example for this. You have people that, you know, they go and they have this like motivated, you know, gym guy, right? Where he has muscles from every angle that you don't, you know, and he's sitting there and he's screaming at you, you're nothing, you're this. And, you know, like in the army and then people are going and, you know, there's people that go and they really like lose weight. They become cut, they become muscular, they become everything they want. The same people in the same class don't do yeah, of course. It depends on you, but it, but it depends on you. That's the bottom line. It depends on who you are and what you want and, and what's your decisions that you make. The bottom line is, I think the point is very clear. People wait for inspiration. We spoke about like, you know, getting inspired about like listening to classes. That's all nice and dandy, but if you're not going to do anything with it, you're taking that inspiration, you're putting it in your pocket, your pocket has a hole and it's just falling right out. So it's nice for a while it's there, but it's eventually it's going to fall all out. So you have to, you have, that's why any learning that you do, especially when it comes to Torah, you have to take something out of it. What, you come out of any single class, okay, what did I gain from this? What am I going to change my life about this? Even if you change just a tiny little bit, just a tiny, even if you just say, okay, let me think about my life a little bit. Let me just, it, something that you already gained something from it. If you're not, thanks for coming. <laughs> you know, like what can I tell you, you know? Any other questions? No? Okay, Hazakabo. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.